the song. And that mm-hmm. this is the summer of 68. That was a song that made me have the thought of like this era probably has the potential to be my favorite band. And I think a, mm. one of my favorite bands, I think a big part of it is the piano playing and the, having that color featured so predominantly in there. Yeah. 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 It really highlights what a fantastic player he is. Yeah. Well, and I, I just, I just, man, I just, I feel like I have a whole life. I feel like I have the rest of my life because that's what's going to take to understand the genius of Richard Wright and Nick Mason. Mm. <laughs> they, they both are really understated. Like they really genuinely are. Yeah. I mean, you've got two other dudes like Waters and Gilmore in the band. Like you're going to get overshadowed. It's yeah. kind of a, a, just a fact of life, unfortunately. I mean, I, I bet those paychecks helped, but still. Sure, <laughs> sure, yeah. But but still, like you can't you can't fake that artistry that those two dudes had, and then and then on I guess on their later material how they come in per because I mean like that was the thing that was on that middle era of Pink Floyd. It was like I I sort of had this idea that I thought that at that time they might have been on their fifth drummer. And they finally got a guy that would just calm the fuck down and do what they told him to do. <laughs> and that maybe one of, you know, that like they had a keyboard player live, but really David or Roger did it. Right. It was just like studio guys they got or, or touring rather. That's really probably. what I thought. It was yeah. like Steely Dan. Exactly. That's exactly that what I thought. Comparison like. you made. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so to, to like find out that it's like, no man, they have their own. Adam and Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. <laughs> exactly. It it's exactly that. Yeah. Oh, shit. Except uh, Bono didn't play bass. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> the less Bono does, the better. I'm yeah. Just, go ahead and say it. Keep him humble. Keep him humble. <laughs> Episode 26, recorded April 20th, 2022. Okay, you know what you're doing. I cut myself somehow. I don't know how that happened. Uh, all it right. happens all let's the time. Just, let's decide what, what beer I'm going to drink. Do we need to drink these out of a glass? Do I need to go get glasses? You, man, you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> this is my podcast. <laughs> uh, I do have a bottle opener if you need one. All right. Okay, so... And it is a Pussifer bottle opener. Is it really? Yeah. Bought it in Jerome. I think, I think I'm going to do the coffee one. Sick. Which you don't need the bottle opener for. <laughs> you don't. You haven't seen I'll me put drink. Put that over here with my Topo Chicos. You don't know how I drink out of a can. It's supposed for branded. Yeah, it's kind of wearing off, but okay. it has. Oh my god, it's so cold. The Queen too. Bee, <laughs> and it had. Where was name. this? Your refrigerator? Oh, it, it, down here, my little oh, ice pack with okay. my Topo Chicos, so, and I have a special drink when we get to a, a certain part in the podcast. It's it, like a victory drink. Oh. So. Oh. Oh God! Wait. Since I this is like modular, how the hell? It's it's yeah. No no. Here I'll. Uh, it's okay. It's other really way, other convoluted. Way. I see. Like that. Gotcha. Oh my goodness. I love you. Uh, I'm having a moment here, with this. Is it good? Yeah. <laughs> with this. Uh, was it French in, press? Imperial coffee porter, Saint mm. Arnold. Mm. Nice. I haven't had a haven't had beer in a while. I've just been drinking like whiskey drinks. I know. You know. I think part of my drink. Recognition of the fact that I needed to not drink was that that whole like during the Christmas season I did a I called it my bad vent 
And every single day I drank a completely uniquely different beer and did like this whole rating of it. And, oh man. And then I just started gathering more and gathering more. And then I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to do this whole website thing where I just do this. And at first it was going to be like some sort of 365 days of beer.com oh or something God. like that. But then it, <laughs> that's too many days of beer. <laughs> and and uh, then it was like, Oh, Maybe there really is a problem here. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Like, I, I love that idea, and I would be in, but I would also probably be dead. Yeah. I, like. I gained so much weight during the month of December. That's funny. Yeah, that uh, I've been sort of understanding the the same sort of aspects of, of myself when it comes to sort of like binge eating and whatnot and understanding that I have almost a sort of like subconscious – bias mm. that's going to push me towards activities that will or or diets or regimens or whatever that will allow me to justify binge eating. Mm. Gotcha. You know. Like, oh well I'm only gonna eat these certain these certain foods during the the this certain time, but then once a week I'll eat whatever I want. And that probably works really well for people who are a little more moderate. Yeah. You know, but if I eat whatever I want, then that's gonna be like Two dozen donut holes and a whole pizza, and you know what I mean, and and yeah. all that. Like I and so, but or I would, uh, you know, I was into doing like lots of really extreme exercise or extreme cardio, like six mm -hmm. mile runs and shit like that. Um, so then you're like, it well, it just goes away, right? right and it's I'm like, okay. whoa, man, it balances out. Yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, cool. Well, I just did this run, so now I can do whatever I want. Now I can eat right. a cake. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like seriously. Yeah. And and I ran like right when the pandemic started. I ran so much. I was running like twenty miles a week. Oof. But um, Allison also started baking. <laughs> those those go well together. Just canceled each other out. Yeah. you know. And just the seesaw was completely level. Completely level. <laughs> At that point. Right. 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 And so now I'm sort of, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just gonna run a little bit, and then I'm not. <laughs> going to eat like a I'm mean, that that does that's not going to give me permission to eat like a madman right <laughs> right afterwards you know you know I I think the difficulty for me it would be easy to just not drink I mean I say that I stopped drinking because it would I would start at like four o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock in the afternoon or whenever work wrapped up that day and I would just not stop until I went to bed. And Oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a weekend drinker, start on Saturday and on Friday. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but once you, for me at least, once I realized that I had a, a, a dysfunctional relationship with alcohol, then it was suddenly, okay, well, if this, if I'm going to correct my relationship to it, it's more than about abstinence. It's about trying to figure out how to have a functional relationship. Right. Figure and, out where that disconnect is and how you can. And then you realize how many things you have a dysfunctional relationship with. And it's not just alcohol. It's eating and exercise and body image and all these other things well, that are. Well, but you, you, how you went through a period where you lost an insane amount of weight though. Over the last six years, I've lost a hundred pounds. But but the, a lot of that was like uh, the, really fast. The first right? the first eighty pounds was in about a four or five month span. Wow! Yeah, just was, from not eating shit. It was right. amazing. Like yeah. it was it was it was startling. Um, 
how how quickly Shay just became a different person. Like, oh, right. this is a you new You know how person. I finally lost the, the, the final 20 pounds of that? Hmm. I stopped drinking. That's what did it. That would do it. Yeah. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah. you, you were saying something about like also, so all the other things you have an unhealthy relationship oh, with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it was a, it was a really, it's still something that I'm processing to realize that, you know, I actually have body image issues. Yeah. That, a lot of it really goes back to that. Yeah. So yeah. And, and so they, then trying to, to balance, getting healthier and getting fit, working with a personal trainer, but not allowing that to feed into my, you know, like resident shit that goes off in my head. Right. Um, Cause I'm always like, okay, I, I'm like, my trainer even said, stop, you know, weighing yourself every day. Just weigh yourself once a week. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that- that that tracks for me. I mean, the first twenty six episodes of this, I was wearing a hoodie mm. because I have insane body image issues. Yeah. Um, even when we when we started it, I was I, I gained thirty because my mom died like after we recorded the first episode, right? And not necessarily the stress of her death. But the stress of all of the other, all of the ongoing processes mm. and things that had to happen for months and months and months on end after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I gained like 35 pounds, you know. So, but even, even, you know, even <clears throat> on that first, even when it started, when it started, I was like, I have to lose 35 pounds, mm. you know, because so it's like even when I was lighter. I still felt like I was just a terrible, you know, just sloth, <laughs> sluggish piece of shit, you know, even though I was running six miles and right. all this sort of stuff. I was like, oh, God, I'm just, I don't even deserve to live because I can't see my abs or some, some, some dumb shit. Like I'm, I'm, I should be barely allowed to exist, you know? <laughs> um, and these things, these are of course like not rational thoughts. Sure. Um, but they're thoughts that you have. And it's like those are the those are the three AM thoughts. Yeah, when you're yeah. all alone and it's dark and it's just you and your ceiling. Yeah. That's and, the shit that goes through your head. Well, and like you're saying, like the thing uh, that's fun, so funny that what you said about your trainer, because I just sort of recently made that same sort of it's like, okay, I'm gonna stop weighing myself every day and mm. I'm just gonna like weigh like once a week or something. And you know, because Cause I like it, if if I was trying really really hard and the scale didn't move or the scale moved the wrong direction, I'd lose the day. Yeah, I'd get so depressed, mm. so upset, um, that I'd lose the whole day. Basically, you know, it's funny because I I'm so resistant to programs and like regimens. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and especially. Kind of going back to our conversation last week, um, you know, because I was a pastor at one time in my life, I'm extremely resistant to language that feels associated with that um, because the the world is a much bigger place than just that box. But uh, so consequently, I have a real, real hard time with language of like AA and, and programs like that. And, mm. and and yet the thing that 
really like flipped a switch in my head was uh, listening to something that Russell Brand said. Oh no! Of all people. Oh no! Uh, yeah, uh, you know his thing was. Well, well, that dude does know how to not be addicted to heroin anymore. Yes, he does. So for anything that he has done after that and all of the, you know, sort of like questionable bullshit and misinformation and whatever, woo, mm. like I'm going right. to tour, I'm going to like just tour around the world looking deeply into people's eyes and parasocial bullshit that he does. He knows how to not be addicted to heroin anymore. Exactly. So he Maybe, does I'm, have a little bit of authority there. Unless that's what got him off of it. And that's, <laughs> you want to avoid that route. <laughs> well, that's, that sounds like a, that's a lot of snakes. Uh, take the, so. <laughs> but the phrase that he said, which I thought was just really powerful for me was it's not the decision between working a program and not working a program. It's the decision between working a conscious program and an unconscious program. Well, that sounds like bullshit to me, but what did it mean to you? <laughs> For me, it, it meant that so much of my life, I do run these resident programs of, you know, whether it's the, the, the binge eating or the body image issues or the drinking or anything else. Um, and then the program, he, he took the whole 12-step program and put them in a completely different language. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I frequently describe it as he put it in the language of fuck, which I understand. And it's like, step one, are you fucked up? Step two, mm -hmm. could you not be fucked up? Step three, are you yourself going to unfuck yourself? Mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't get into this overly crazy language about higher power or, you know, those kinds of things. But the mm -hmm. way that he recontextualizes those steps, and I hate even using that phrase, but the, that process yeah. helps to, for me, understand that I have certain patterns of reaction to things in my life. Mm -hmm. And those patterns feed from traumas from dysfunctions, from things like that. And a lot of it is slowing down and realizing, okay, why am I acting like this? Or why am I responding to my wife like this? Or right. why am I responding to my kids like this? Where mm -hmm. does that come from? And that process, that program of understanding where those dysfunctions stem from and then purposing to react differently is really the work that's yeah. the work of breaking myself from those addictive patterns would you consider that mindfulness yes so if you were to say if you were to rephrase what he says is and replace the word conscious with mindful would it mean the same thing to you it would words are interesting yeah yeah, if you if you come across, I assume you're coming from the direction of like consciousness being a sort of hand wavy way of saying. I know that I know spirituality that spirituality in a way. I know that Russell Brand uses it in that way also. Oh, okay. Mm. And I know gotcha. that lots of people in communities that are adjacent to the community he's cultivating use it in that way. Right. Um, but That's they also use my, the word mindfulness. But mindfulness is just less sexy of a word. Yeah. And. Yeah. 
more pragmatic. <clears throat> it's like, here's a thing that you can actually do. Yeah. Whereas talking about your being conscious and consciousness is like, oh, it's a little, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like mindful, like you can, you know, you can, you can take a mindful bath, you know, you can <laughs> mindfully use the restroom. Um, but, but like, conscious that oh there's just something about that word that has a little to it you know yeah mm. and uh, and i can imagine someone hearing you know it's not whether or not you decide to start a program or not it's whether or not you decide to start a conscious program i know the way that some people would hear that sure is is do you start a program that caters to your specific bullshit like raises your consciousness or yeah like like it's it's you know do you do you do you start a program that is about that 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 like vibes with your sort of particular esoteric language about what is and what isn't you know and stuff right. like that because that's what's so goofy or interesting and about those communities is they 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 really really don't like a lot of them. Some, so you know, the encounters I've had, like they're very averse to the church, they're very averse to Christianity and things like that. But they still have like a, a church and like a God-shaped hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think for me, it's all just been about learning to be okay in the moment, whatever that moment brings. Like being in the moment and not fleeing the moment because well, most of my life has been spent fleeing the moment. Well, cause that's, it's, you know, it's those emotions. It's those negative, emo whoa. it's those negative emotions that become the triggers for the bad habits. Right. And you know, that was, that was a hard thing for me to be like, okay, I don't just eat when I'm sad. I eat when I'm frustrated. I eat when I'm anxious. Um, I eat, Oh God damn it! I eat when I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, it's time to celebrate. You know. Right. Yep. And so, and and trying to sort of recognize those cues. And so I imagine it's probably similar for you with, oh, negative emotion. Reach for that drink. Yep. <laughs> I'm stressed. Time to grab the bourbon. Yeah. 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 But I think that's the right path. Is like, not. You're talking about like dealing with the language of like a program or right. a, a regimen or something like that. And I would like, that's the reason that, to me, the reason those things exist in the first place is because they work well enough for enough people. Right. Right. They cover a large enough swath of people's problems that they're applicable to, uh, or they're, they're able to be applied as a regimen. Right. Yeah. But the real problem is like you said, like it's almost doing like root cause analysis on yourself. Mm -hmm. And trying to figure out what the problem, what the actual problem is. The problem isn't that you drink. The problem is why do you right. feel the need to drink or overeat or, you know, whatever right, it is. Right, right, right. And maybe that isn't part of a program. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I've never, I've never also bought, like, follow this 12-step guide or follow this whatever. Yeah. Because it's, it's Ten not easy always. easy ways to find the right woman. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's not always applicable to everybody. Just find yeah. what works for you and figure out why it works yeah and do, do it and right. to the best of you can you know you know and and going back to that first breakfast with dane um sounds like a movie <laughs> <laughs> breakfast, with dane. breakfast with dane um so we, we uh, uh scrambled eggs into dane cook's face <laughs> <laughs> one of the other things head off with a shovel in to put more context with that conversation we had about you know when he said you know there 
there's no moderation for some of us, brother. Um, he was a lot gravelier than that when he said it. <laughs> he sounded cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as, as a sort of a counterpoint, you know, my wife, I think, is a picture of, of what that looks like. She can have a glass of wine, and then she may go two or three weeks without thinking, oh, I'd like to have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And, and it was always at, at my suggestion. You know, I was always the one bringing it up because, hmm. you know, every day I'm looking at the clock going, can I have bourbon yet or tequila or gin or whatever it was? You know, hmm. is, is it is it is it time enough that I can kind of stop my day right. and numb out? Because I, I don't go through two or three weeks without thinking about it. I, I do good to go through, you know, 12 hours. So how how many days did it take for you to get into it? Before you started to, I guess, feel good about it or, or to start to like stop thinking about it as much, stop thinking about reaching for it as much. So I think it was day three when I was slapped in the face with realizing I was actually going through physiological withdrawals. Right. Okay. I remember ta- I, re- I remember you called Yeah. Me. Yeah. I really wondered if I was having a mental breakdown. Um, realizing that when you have alcohol so much in your system that you go through your, your central nervous system goes through a sort of an, an attenuation where it, it kind of numbs it. And then when you get off of it, your central nervous system starts freaking out, trying to find its balance again. And, and there's no, you know, there's no telling how that's going to manifest for some people. And for me, it was a really big mental struggle. Mm-hmm. Once I realized that that was the point, I hated it. I hated it mm. for what it was doing to my mental state. That doesn't mean it was easy. That doesn't mean I didn't struggle. It was probably a good two months in that I was still thinking, man, I really glass of bourbon or I really want a, you know, tequila. Um, and occasionally it's still, I still have those moments, but they're few and far between. I, from what I understand, I mean, I'm only 30 days or 90 days into it almost. Uh, but from what I understand, that's, that's probably something I'll always have every now and then, depending on the celebration or the stress level or whatever. Should we right. just pour these out? No, no, I'm totally fine, man. <laughs> okay. My sorry. wife is, my wife drinks. Uh, I have other friends who drink. It doesn't bother me at all. Okay, cool. I was at uh, somebody's house the other night, and I started smelling weed, and I was like, hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'll just uh, drink my Topo Chico. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like such a shit the next day because <laughs> after we did the last podcast, because then because I, I remembered, um, mm. you know, and because he was he had texted me before. He's like, anything I should bring, and I'm like, just your beverage of choice, <laughs> which <Yeah>. I did. <laughs> yeah. I was drinking the hell out of Topo Chico's four times over. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, but yeah, I don't know. All the, all, all this stuff's interesting and it's, it's interesting sort of how, how you as an individual, how your perspective can change if you throw some different language at the problem. Yeah. And it's, I wonder, I guess we would need to ask a linguist about this or something, but I wonder if there has something, there's something in there about how language can function as sort of uh, signify how, how it sort of signifies uh, belonging to a certain group, like mm. an in-group, out-group thing. 
Yeah. And when someone uses language in a different way than that you feel comfortable with, you don't want to align with that group. Oh yeah. I've always been resistant to the 12 step language period. And then when Russell Brand rebranded it, uh, it, it really allowed me to see the functionality of it in a different light. Sorry. I didn't, I'm, I'm not, I appreciate it. That was just a dad joke. It was <laughs> no, just no, no, a cheap no, no. dad joke. No, I'm not, I'm not grimacing at the, at the joke. The oh. joke is good. I'm grimacing <laughs> at the man that is Russell. <laughs> Russell man. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just get so, I just get so fucking frustrated whenever someone, you know, starts doing jujitsu and then like turns into a crazy person. <laughs> oh, was that him? He, he was in that? Oh yeah, man. Okay. Yeah. I, I understand now. <laughs> he talks a lot about it. But it, I, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Just it like raises I, his consciousness. Just, just like I, <laughs> I don't know that he said that. Oh man. <laughs> God. I was like, maybe you said it. I don't know. It's, it's possible. Right. There's, a, there's a lot of really crazy people that that get really good at jujitsu, and yeah. then since they're good at that one thing, they think that they understand a lot of other stuff, even though they haven't put the time into those things that they've put into jujitsu. And that is probably one of the most frustrating things about my goddamn existence. <laughs> 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 is that it's like, hey, how many hours have you spent on the mat? Twenty thousand, bro. <clears throat> how much time have you spent? Studying structural engineering, um, probably about six hours on YouTube. I read part of the Wikipedia article on it. <laughs> there were some words I didn't understand, and it went to other articles, but I didn't follow those links. Yeah, I didn't follow those links. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's man. That feels like such a uh, uniquely. Um, it feels like jujitsu is a very unique thing to get into that can foster that that can help foster and perpetuate that it uh, really is that idea that idea about someone's self it really is because it's such an individual sport and mm. so you uh, no two people are going to sort of well if you're training at a good gym if you're training at a good sort of competitive <clears throat> gym um no two people at that gym are going to roll exactly the same way so it really is up to the individual to find your own path and your own set of moves that work for your Temperament. Your you know, Russell body talks type. about that too. Finding your own path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, that's I'm why. Waiting I, for that one. We're, 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 we're basically he and I. Like that's why I just like you guys him so are much. like almost identical. Yeah. Yeah. He's stepping on my demographic. You know that's who really else why. is big into Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Oh, I think I know. No. <laughs> Maynard. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I was no, gonna I, say Joe I, Rogan, but I didn't want to. Another I didn't fucking go person without hair that pisses me <laughs> off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Such as myself. Look at this. Yeah. But I like um, Maynard. He's 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 compared to Rogan. I'm he's less bad Maynard today. By the way, yeah, with no. the my bottle opener and my. Show. He did a really good. Um, he did a really good interview with uh fucking Lars Ulrich, mm. of all people. Joe well, Rogan did. No, uh, Maynard. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Lars has like a podcast sort of thing. Yeah, on, on oh, interesting. It's on some network. It's on. Do you know what it is? It's like I thought it was on Apple. I'm may- like maybe it was a, music. It was a YouTube, it was like a revolver clip on YouTube or oh, some okay. show, something like that. You yeah, know? sure. But he had like a 30-minute talk with Maynard where Maynard just like sounded like a person. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah, Maynard is... Because so... you don't always get that from Maynard. No. no. He, he's, he guards who he is very, very closely. Yeah, I... I my sort of... Th- there was a one specific thing that Maynard 
said. There were two things that Maynard did. There were that, probably a lot of things. <laughs> there were two specific ones like 10 years ago that, that like just sort of permanently or that put him on like my bad side for a while. And one was when he like sort of like judo through that fan on stage and like mm. held him oh, in yeah. like a scarf hold, you know, patted him on the back. Yeah, which is it's like I don't know. I th- that could go either way, whatever. Um but then he uh talked about and this is like very I understand how hypocritical this is of me cuz I've also talked shit on Tool fans from time to time, but when Maynard talks shit on his fans, that that really hit me in a wrong way of talking about yeah, most of them fucking smell bad and da 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 da. You know, why would I want to be around them or you know, and it, and it was and like some of the things he said about like this is my fucking stage and da 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 da, you know, mm. I don't know, man. There's it just it, it hit me the wrong way at the time. Yeah. So, and it um because also at the time I was like this guy is misrepresenting jujitsu in a, you know, because that's not like jujitsu is about like humility and about this blah blah blah, and like now I'm like no, he's he's actually representing it quite accurately because that's how a lot of these motherfuckers are. Uh, it's a better re- representation of the population of jujitsists than I wanted it to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was a, that was a hard thing. That was a it's a bummer in a different way. <laughs> yeah, I, I struggled really hard finding motivation uh, once I got my purple belt because sort of up to that point just the vulnerable spot that I was, the particular spot I was in in my life and that kind of vulnerability that I was in, I, the people who were better at jujitsu than me were the men I wanted to be more like. Mm. You know, I, I want to be this kind of, I want to be this kind of father one day. I want to be this kind of husband one day. I want to be this kind of citizen one day. And then when it got to the point to where, like the people that were better than me at jujitsu I thought were like amoral douchebags. I started to lose some of my motivation. Hmm. Right. Because I do love the art. I love the art of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, but it was, it was fulfilling something for me that was sort of very, it, it, it was, it was, I don't know. It's it's hard to put words to, but it it wasn't just like oh this is a, this is a fun thing I like doing. Like it was giving me a system of male approval to operate mm. within, and if I do these things, then men I respect will approve of me, and that, and and even if I'm homeless, even if I have to sleep in my car, if I have that, then I'm gonna be okay. Because <laughs> you could defend yourself. Not, but but that's not really what it was about. Because I wasn't having to defend myself all the time, but I needed to know. But I mean, if you were homeless, you you may. I may. I may. Yeah. That's what I'm, I mean. If I'm sleeping You'd be in the okay. car. Right. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. I might have to beat this cop up. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. I got four black belts. That felt weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. That felt weird. How many black? Do you have a black belt yet? I don't. No. You no, don't. No, no, no. So is that? Did you just kind of? Um, I, I was back into it. Stall out? Well, there, there's another aspect of it, too, which was um, once I started dating Allison, mm-hmm. you know, like, it was almost like, so there's this thing that that supposedly, I think I think it's like a Bruce Lee quote about, like, Jeet Kune Do or something, or about martial arts, that, like, you use it as a, you know, use it as a boat to get you across the river. Okay. Or something, like, as a raft to get you across the river, but once you've got across, you don't need to keep carrying it around anymore. 
like that kind of idea. I mm. needed the the structure and everything of jujitsu to get me past a certain point. Mm. But then once I got past it, I didn't need it as much. Like once it was like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be a fucking musician. Um, once that light bulb went off, um, and I it just it 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 got demoted a little bit, and then once I got married. Was, mm. You know, and I, and I had all these other modes of significance, you know, but then I, I got into a really good place with it. And I was like, yeah, this fits in my life. Well, like right before COVID hit, mm. <laughs> you know, and uh, it wasn't there were some people who it was important enough for them to, to risk and do it during COVID. But it wasn't important enough for me. Right. You think you'll get back to it when Max gets vaccinated, when my four year old is able to get vaccinated? I think yeah. I will. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So. That's really the big hang up. It's good when you can go back to those things with a different perspective. If it's still important to you and, and mm -hmm. yeah. you know, be able to re-engage. Yeah, because I really do love and love the art of jujitsu. And and you know, and there's there's a whole there's a whole myriad of things there because it's easy when you're you know, like no one gym, no one um teacher has ownership or jurisdiction of the entire art. Mm. Okay. And so if there's if you're at a gym that you don't vibe with or you've run into some some black belts that you don't vibe with or some other, you know, practitioners you don't vibe with, that's not necessarily reflecting on the entire art and it's not or or it's not reflecting on what the art can be. Mm. Right? Like you can't just if there's if you're getting something good out of something, you can't let you can't let jerks and douches just come in and live in there rent-free and take jurisdiction over it. I mean, you've experienced that with your uh, with some of your tattoos. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. Why don't you fill Robert in on that? I wasn't going to ask, but if you want to go into it. It's, it's not like a dick tattoo or nothing. <clears throat> I can't imagine that that would be a problem so, for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> So, years ago, I, I are you talking about the one on my leg? Yes. So years ago, um, I, I I went through this period where I had a group of friends that every year for my birthday they would all kind of pool their money and give me a birthday tattoo. And like I had the like Shea birthday tattoo fund kind of thing. Oh. Did it have to be like a certain size? Or no. No, it, it was all okay. dependent on how much everybody pulled together and what money I had at the time. And it was kind of a, a like, I think it was like the earliest I've ever, you know, crowdfunded something. <laughs> right. Um, if you'd been able to kickstart this. Yeah, yeah. This And this was probably GoFundMe. 2005, maybe. So it was like, I was a pioneer. You were ahead of the curve. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so a group of us went to Texas Legends. They used to have a, a second shop on I-10 near Sheldon Road. And we're up there one night, and they had Guar going on one of the uh, TVs. As they do. As, as all of them seem to do. Yep. Um, and uh, Tattoo Shop Network TV It's <laughs> a satellite feed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so we're, I'm laying there on the, the table, and I was getting a big Mjolnir, you know, Thor's mm -hmm. hammer. And that, that symbol has always been very uh, personally important to me. Just the, the story, um, you know, the idea that this was something fashioned to kill Thor. And he was able to take the thing that was 
created to destroy him and it became his greatest weapon. Um, so as a, as a kind of a nod to that, it was probably the first Nordic tattoo I got out of many. I've got several now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, I get off this table. I'd been there for four hours on this table and I had all my friends around me because it was, you know, they'd go with me and, and watch it and that kind of thing. None of them had tattoos, though. Maybe it was a vicarious thing for them. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but as I'm getting off the table, the artist in the little booth next door, he's looking at my leg and he nods and he goes, where'd you do time? I'm like, Uh-oh. what do you mean? Uh-oh. He's like, you're, uh, you're Thor's hammer. Where'd, where'd you do time in prison? Oh, God. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, it's an AB symbol, Aryan Brotherhood. Oh, boy. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, uh, it's done. And uh, still to this day, there have been times where I'm somewhere in shorts and somebody will nod to my leg and approach me and ask oh, comments. Oh boy. The most awkward moment was when we were on a family vacation and we were in Memphis, Tennessee. And we were getting ready to go visit the Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Hotel where oh, Martin no. Luther King had been assassinated. And that in itself is just such a, a powerful, moving day. Um, the minute I walked on that property, I just started feeling tears. And it's just, you, you, there's just a palpable heaviness in the air. Um, well, we're about to leave the hotel and my wife looks at me and she goes, not today. You're wearing pants today. You're not wearing shorts. And I'm like, why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but I wonder what the implication is there. Is that somebody who is also at the Martin Luther King Memorial will recognize it? Because that seems antithetical to me in the first place. Possibly. But also, but you're it's in... also known. I think it's a pretty known symbol. Interesting. I'd never heard of it. But I don't know. From. The standpoint of, you know, Jews know what a swastika looks like. And oppressed people are very familiar with the symbols of their oppressors. Totally. And I wouldn't ever want anybody to think that I align with something that... It wouldn't impressive. be re- it wouldn't necessarily be recognized by the people who support it. Right. I right. Yeah. But by the people who've seen that in an oppressive sure, sure. context. And I mean, and I can 100%. just I can imagine your wife just being like, I don't even want to take the chance of having to deal with that today. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um didn't someone like call you out at a pool? At at the at the uh Pirates Bay water park in Baytown. In Baytown, no. There's a Baytown water park? There's two of them. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Calypso Bay. I was showing sarcasm at the idea that there were white supremacists in Baytown. Um like, oh, no. no. Oh. No, <laughs> no, that's another episode for that's another, another time. One. Yeah, yeah, Death yeah. Threats you've, you've, you've had, you've that. had some, you've had some heat thrown your way in that regard. Yes, I have. Well, I mean, but that's... yeah, someone like came up with you, like came up to you at the pool or some shit, and was like, yeah. "Baby for life, bro." Yeah, oh, some shit like that. And I'm like, "Wait, what?" Oh, no. Have you have you thought about getting it touched up or anything? Uh, no. Just deal with it. I just deal with it. it I, I see it as an opportunity to confront the racism when it happens um because i 
I, I'm I'm very fond of Nordic symbols and imagery, and they play a pretty important role for me personally. Um, and I'm not about to let somebody else's misuse of that ruin it for me. Um, but you know, at the same token, I realize that you know the swastika was originally a symbol of peace, and right. I'm not going to go try to reclaim that. I think that's permanently ruined. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, is it, can this be saved? Can right. this be salvaged anymore? Because right. at a certain point, if enough people believe it, then it doesn't matter what you right. do. Right. Well, but you do, my understanding is you do see swastikas in India that yes. have well, no yeah. a, no attachment to Southeastern that. Southeastern Asia, it's all over the place because it means something completely detached I mean, from I just recently got runes tattooed on my fingers. Right. And it's like, you can't it let... It says dick, by the way. Just so <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but now that we're on the subject. <laughs> yeah. Well, his exactly. real name is Richard. Yes. So. I didn't say it was a bad thing. It, <laughs> wrong it's a like a name tag. I'm just translating, man. That's oh, thank you. Oh. <laughs> but then that's 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 not as bad as I expected. That's lesser. That's more surprising than I expected. I guess the, mm. the hammer thing because I had no idea about that. Yeah. But I thought you were gonna say like. I jumped off the table and there was like a giant swastika on my leg, and I didn't ask for that or you know whatever. <laughs> oh, but, okay. So that's okay. No, that could be worse. I it, guess it could be. It could be. Mm. Yeah, it could be like you know a picture of Hitler, or it's like oh, Mjolnir. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I drew Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Uh, I drew Auschwitz. Portrait of Trump or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Jesus Christ. But I do think it's yeah, or Jesus. That would have upset me. Jesus too. Christ. Yeah. yeah, wouldn't want that. But I think I think it's an important idea to sort of you know. Be mindful, and I, I mean, I, I think I think what you do is a really great example, because it's like you're you're mindful of of how some may see the symbol, right? You know, and and even just that kind of thing of like, all right, well, there's some people who might think that I I am using the symbol in that way, so I am going to be respect respectful and cover it up, right? But then also. This is important to me for reasons that have nothing to do with racism or white supremacy or any type of cultural supremacy, so I'm not going to let you have it. Right. I'm not going to give it up just because you found your way into it and set up shop in it. Yeah. And I think that's really important because if we don't if we don't do that, then we have to relinquish everything. Yeah. You know? We we have to we have to we have to like oh well man I don't I can't listen to metal anymore because there's some there's some white supremacists who like metal right yeah. um, or I can't listen to Slayer because you know there was a period where they were just in love with some German imagery yeah like there I I I I don't have like a big problem with I have more problems with the sort of the ins, the like sort of like edgelord incendiary shit that tom araya has said the past few years oh yeah um, oh has he i've not heard. it's 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 nothing big it's nothing egregious but it's just like you're you're just stirring the pot you're just trying to like be you're acting like a teenager kind of uh, okay. um but i don't know like the way that they sing about it always seemed like they were reporting right right not glorifying yeah i mean not i guess well, because Slayer's whole thing was like, well, we're going to talk about the worst fucking shit possible. Right. And if they're talking about Nazis, that's implying that, like, well, because Nazis are the worst fucking shit possible. Mm -hmm. So it, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be examined. I'm just like, that's why it never. 
yeah, the like the idea or the uh, impression that I always got was more like it was just like a fascinating topic as an objective thing. Right. It's, it, rather than saying this is how things should be or this is good. Right. It like Angel of Death is is like a horror movie, you know, mm. and like a grotesque horror movie. It's not like what like not like what Phil did in um Attack the Radical where he's almost like preaching and telling you like this is what the history is and this is how things are and this is how things should be and people should feel the-. that's not what Slayer does. Right. And so yeah. It never bothered me, you know. Um, you will find no Nazi conversations in Pink Floyd's music anywhere. Until today. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I feel like this playlist was an act of fascism. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really felt about the playlist. Because I know that you had some... Uh, Averse reactions. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to get into this now. So this is part two of our discussion. This is... Oh, shit. What year does this begin? 66? I think 67. Seven? Right in between. Yeah. So 67 to like 72, I think, is when Saucerful came out. Or not Saucerful, but... uh, 67 was Saucer. 68 was Piper. Obscured. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Obscured. That was 72. Yeah, because then we get to 73, and that's everything that we covered last time. Right. And so then everything after 70, like 80 and after, I guess, mm-hmm. was final cut onwards. Right. And so right. that's what we'll cover today. So. Um, Did you really hate the playlist? I know hate's a strong word, but. I, I, I thought you were just referencing the post-war dream where he goes off about <laughs> some things was echoes the breaking point so so echoes was has been on our minds before if you re, if you recall is that what you did to me that's what i did to you so okay. uh, before we actually started doing this uh, podcast thing in earnest we had an idea to i think the initial idea was just for me to make a lot of playlists and we talked about them yeah, the idea right. was that I was going to do kind of the premise of this show, but do it with a bunch of different people. Right, right, right. And then I was going to do it. I was just like, oh, well, I'll do like four episodes with Robert, and then I'll move on and do episodes. You know what I mean? Right. And this was the idea a few years ago. So you made like... So I made like four playlists. Well, I think we broke or it one, down into four. One big playlist, but yeah. Yeah, we, it was one big sort of Robert's musicology. It was like a big six-hour playlist that was, this is who I am. It was like, here's the shit that's important to me from when I remember liking music to today, basically. And so I, what I tried to do is put like one song, a couple got duplicates, or not duplicates, but multiple entries, a couple artists. But I tried to put one song for each uh, artist who I wanted to represent. Okay. And so for Pink Floyd, I picked Echoes. Did you? Yeah, because to me, I mean, we'll get into it, but like that is, to me, it covers all the bases mm. for Pink Floyd. It Everything's in there. Yeah. Because it's 23 fucking minutes long. Right. <laughs> Everything so, better fucking be in there. <laughs> so I put that on that playlist, and I forget what you said, but you were just like, fucking really with this shit? <laughs> Come on. So anyway. I, it's, it's nice to know that, that I'm consistent. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, okay, uh, can I read this? Please. He, he, uh, please. <laughs> he sent me a text message the other day, and uh, he said, this playlist is stressing me out. 
And then he followed it up and said, I was feeling patient until it got to Echoes and I saw the length. Asterisk flips table over in rage. <laughs> you know what? Fair. Was it just the, the <laughs> length? Okay. So. All right. So we're going to get into this. Okay. And, I, and, I, and y'all are looking at me, so I guess I'm going to talk first. I Please. do have a lot to say. I'm sure. And um, so. I got some things to say, too, that I didn't realize I had to say, but I do oh, know. Oh, good. Oh, awesome. good. <laughs> so the first thing is I feel like I um, owe some apologies to some people. Wow. So the first is uh, Nick Mason. Mm-hmm. So mm. I don't feel like I I spoke dis- necessarily disparaging of Nick Mason in the last episode, but um, really, I mean, and really the band as a whole, because when I understood that, oh, this has been the same, this is the same, like the uh, the entire Pink Floyd discography and lore is really just five dudes, mm. you know, yeah. Roger Waters, David Gilmore, Robert Wright, Nick Mason, and uh, Sid Barrett. Right. Yep. You know, Rick Wright. Oh, is that what he's called? Yeah. Okay. Is it Robert technically? Maybe mm. it is. I thought it was Richard. Richard Wright. Yeah. Dick did Wright. I did I say Robert? Yeah. My bad. You were looking at me though. So. Well, <laughs> probably happens. Fair enough. Um, but so my 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 perspective changed when I realized that oh, well Nick Mason's been on all of this, and then mm. hearing like his drumming on the early stuff, and yeah. then all that, and and everything, and I'm like, my God, what an incredibly like prolific drummer and what an incredible unique voice on the drum kit and how absolutely criminally underrated he is in the drumming community Mm. and this you know and then i just thought it yeah so so yeah that was one thing and then the other person that i need to apologize to is um is shay (laughs) because i don't i don't know what i did to you (laughs) Oh no! <laughs> to to deserve the, the violence of this playlist, <laughs> did violence upon him. But but I am I am sorry <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. Just know that I I am deeply regretful of whatever it is that I did. You know, uh, I, I I don't even know what to say to that because uh, I did my best, man. So here's what um, else is a funny. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna skip around for a second. Here's this is what's funny since I'm since I'm since I'm throwing daggers at you here. All right, okay, I can take it. So, when it gets to, you know, Umaguma, Umaguma oh. or whatever, which I liked, I thought you would. I really thought you would. But why did you think I wouldn't like the seven-minute drum solo track? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what's going on here. You're like, yeah, okay, each one of them. Each one of them have like a whole movement. Like, yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna give the drummer. I'm gonna put like a 30 second, like postlude of the drummer's movement. I'm gonna cut out the seven minute drum solo so that I have more room for guitar solos in this three hour playlist that's nothing but intros. I mean, it, it, we're we're talking about David Gilmore though. <laughs> 
it's is this is this That's what I would have done too. Is yeah. this playlist called David Gilmore? Is this it is this a David Gilmore episode? I mean, it, more percents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that, that's basically what happened with the Endless River, right? They kind of come full circle, and it was really just David Gilmore. I mean, it wasn't, but it was. Um, no, I. I <laughs> so anyway, I, I just thought it was really funny <laughs> that that you're like, no, no, no. I gotta cut. I gotta cut. We're at two hours and 53 minutes. We can't get all the way to three. I have to cut somewhere. I know that Richard's going to listen to this. I better cut that drum solo. I wanted to entice you to explore more, and it worked. There oh, okay. So yeah. you're an asshole. <laughs> Fine. But you knew that. Um, so what I, what I did was I went through it one time, you know, and I made – and I have a bunch of, like, hot take notes. Right. And I'm going to save that for the end. All right. <laughs> we'll, 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 have, we'll have Richard's hot take section, <laughs> and we'll, we'll do that at the end. All right. And so, but, but yeah, the, the, the first listen was extremely frustrating for me, and I was able to articulate it upon the second listen. Mm. Um, and part of that is just because each one of their albums is such a, a gear shift from the previous one. Mm. And so by the time I got acclimated to a certain vibe or a certain sound, it, it changed again. Yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> around the time of that fifth or sixth change, I started to get really frustrated and anxious. Like just fucking stop it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like God damn it. Do guys. something the same. Because you know, the first part, like I, I like all the psych rock shit, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and I liked Umaguma. I liked all that, you know? Um, but, but then did you not like Adam Hartmother? Is that where it started to lose you or frustrate you? It, it was, it was when it, it was when it got to, um, it was when it, so the thing is, is like Uma is such a, it's such a big ask of a listen, mm -hmm. right? You know? But it's like, okay, well, we're out there. We're going out there. Fine. All right, cool. There's a lot on here. All right, I'm here for it. Okay, cool. This is whatever, right? But then, you know, and then you have the tracks after it, which are cool. But then when it got to when it got to one of these days, when it got to that album, that was like that that track started to not pass the smell test, and I started to get a little frustrated. And in terms I, of what? Um smell test in terms of what? I, I just just wasn't vibing for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, okay. it was because because what I what I think it is, is that I have a lot of patience for music that sort of crosses like crosses some type of imaginary thresh, threshold into being out there. So like the Sisyphus tracks, mm -hmm. you know, or just very blatantly fucking whatever. <laughs> See, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of patience for that. Mm -hmm. and I thought I also you have, would. Yeah, and I also have a lot of patience for. Um, you know, organic kind of here's where we're capturing people in a room going for something. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of patience for that too. Mm -hmm. So as sort of out there as like, uh, what is it? Like interstellar. Oh yeah. Interstellar driver. And as Interst weird as that mm -hmm. is, I have a lot of patience for that. Yeah. But once it started to 
sort of, well, we're going to do that, but in a very controlled sort of studio composed way. Uh-huh, yes. I, 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 I don't have the... I, when they finally found their Pink Floyd sound. Yes. That's right. exactly correct. Yes. And, Which and, is when I started fucking loving it. See, and, and I, I thought... Because I knew that you and I both had this appreciation for like Secret Chiefs three and and sounds like that, so I thought, okay, so Uma Guma, he's really going to get into. Um, but for me, and maybe this, uh, tell me what your connection is with that that later early stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Because for me, I, it was like the adolescent period of fumbling around to find how they're going to create a hybrid of these loves that they have that eventually turn into dark side of the moon yep. and in that era. Yep. But it was, you know, they, they had to go through that struggling of how to create that first. Yeah. I think it was probably, I mean, I don't, I could probably dig through history and, and do some archeology span and figure it out. But <clears throat> to me, it, it, it strikes me as being like the creative, powers of like Gilmore and Waters yeah. trying to figure out how to coexist. Mm -hmm. And to me, it finally coalesces on, it begins to coalesce on metal. Yeah. Yeah. And then from then till wish you were here is like, that's what I want. That's what I come to Pink Floyd for. Yeah. yeah. That's the shit right there. It, there's, there's, and, and I think that's why I, I added the tracks from metal that I did, because there's an element to that, that almost sounds like this, this sort of proto wall feel kind um of. that you know it's kind of got that roger waters but it's not as crazy as the wall gets. no yeah. it's not no. as waters it, right. it did track as that to me like you know when it got there it was like all right we're getting close to you know and, and, to, and let me let me let me be clear all that stuff i just said is to sort of explain why i had that negative reaction the first time okay okay um, on, on second, you know, listen, you know, when it got to the tracks on, you know, um, like one of these days I'm like, you know, it, it, that, that's, that, that's when it clicked for me was on the second list. When I got that, I was like, Oh, this is so different <laughs> than mm. what I just heard, which was so different than what I had just heard, which was so different than what I had just heard, which was so did, which was so, which was, you know, totally. and it's like, okay, yeah. I just had one too many gear shifts um you're totally right and i i didn't realize that that was going to be the case until i got into this playlist again mm -hmm. uh i didn't realize how much of the case it was that like after this like the playlist we did last time that was like a very stable period <laughs> in a way yeah. man <clears throat> what a great word <laughs> right <laughs> like because because yeah get, going from the beginning of this shit like astron astronomy domain and I'm I'm surprised you didn't put like seemly play on here because that was always a big one yeah um but the like the weird early shit where it's just like yeah psych rock from from the early sixties mid mid sixties uh, on through to everything this goes through which is all sorts of weird tangents and shit it's such a weird like you said there's a set of gear shifts that I didn't quite remember until they're put next to each other like this. Uh, and then you get to that that metal area on through to like I said like we should were here wall to some extent, and it's very like all right we found what we need to do and then you can sort of see it go in the way of like Roger Waters is like taking a bigger piece of the pie over time yeah. and then yeah. he leaves and so and then yeah. when he leaves you see it kind of not to get too ahead but you see you see the absence or feel right. the absence of that element it takes a huge shift the other direction mm -hmm. yeah right um, so. and, and I felt like. 
Um, so I, I have to say this, Corporal Clegg. Yeah. One of my favorite Pink Floyd songs of all time. Those those two songs were probably my favorite. Yeah. And and I I was when as I was listening through this playlist, you know, I kind of tried to live with this for the last week. Mm-hmm. Um much much to my wife's frustration oh, sometimes. God. And uh hey, Jess resonating with you. <laughs> and uh <laughs> When I got to Corporal Clegg, first time she'd ever heard it, I'm like, you know why I love this song? She's like, why? Because to my knowledge, at least, this is the only rock and roll song with a kazoo solo. It does have that. And it's like they just went, you know what? We're willing to try anything. Here we go. I, I, I will say... But before we move on from Echoes, I do I do want to say that you know on the second listen and like sitting with it and whatnot and being in a different headspace, I I can totally see how that track can hit the spot for someone the way that absolutely no other piece of music could. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, and but I I I totally get your your point of like if you're gonna do the thing, do the thing. Either direction, right? I don't think that's the right way. I don't. I'm not saying that's right. It's. Just, I okay. mean, I. I just think that going through this, it highlighted that for myself. Mm-hmm. That it's like, okay, that's what I have patience for, and what I, as opposed to what I don't have patience for. Well, that's right. what I mean. Like, I see how you can see that. Yeah. Basically, like I don't feel that way. Like I feel like that's where they nailed it because I don't. I guess I don't have a problem with if they were gonna have a vibe of like a jam sort of thing. Hmm. Um. I guess it just doesn't bother me that much. Uh, but I see how you could have a aversion to that, right? Right, 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 right. And I mean, but really, I think it really is just all of the the stark differences is is what, what really turned me off the first time. And and I, I have a whole list of like negative hot take shit that awesome. I said about a lot of stuff that, that we'll throw on nice. after we get through all of it. Um, but I look yeah. forward to it. But yeah, let's let's back up a little. So yeah. before we get into this, I want to, so, because what does the word psychedelic mean to you in the context of art? Like, what makes art psychedelic to you? Uh, I'll start. I don't really have anything. I don't like that term in the first place. Uh, It kind of bothers me. Explain. It's kind of annoying to me. It's kind of... um, Like grunge? Like, in a different way, maybe. Let's start so, a psychedelic yeah. grunge band. <laughs> oh, there has to be somebody. I, I can't think of anybody. Anyway. That was Mother Love Bone. Oh, shit. Maybe you're right. But I don't know. It seems like a turn that came about, came about at that time to, like Alternative did in the 90s, mm-hmm. to define a thing that was happening then and that it just never got a better term. Because to me, I'm just like, I don't fuck it. It means late 60s music to me. <clears throat> But it doesn't really tell me anything about the quality of the music. Right. If that makes sense. What about to you? To me, because that that's a very to me it 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 indicates a much smaller, narrower subset of late sixties music than just late sixties music. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't call yeah, Credence sure. Clearwater Revival no. psychedelic. No. Um I really yeah, wouldn't sorry, call I it have at all. Specified. But uh no, that's fine. But that's Vietnam movie music. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or Lebowski's music. <laughs> um, <laughs> True. 
Um, what was that Vietnam TV show that they used a lot of their music in? The, Nash? The, no, no, that was Korea. Korea. Oh, Dana Delaney <laughs> was in it, and the, oh, come on. China Beach. I never heard of that. Oh, wow. I was a little too young. I do remember that now that you say I it. I suddenly feel really old. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I, I love you Mash, should be though. used to that by now. <sighs> I am. Um, so, yeah, uh, psychedelic music to me, it, it's, it's like a, it's a marketing term. So I, I don't really like it a whole lot, but I, I don't, again, what else are you going to call it? It's, it's, yeah. but it's music. It's a useful tag, that, right? yeah, it's, it's music that is typically associated with the LSD mushroom tripping community and their music from the late sixties, you know, Jefferson airplane, you know, I, I think the quintessential psychedelic rock song is white rabbit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think in a, in a different way, when you ask the question about psychedelic in relationship to art, period, um, I, I think it's art that puts your mind in a different space and is is not uh, linear. You know, it's not, you know, to some degree, I think pop art is psychedelic, um, you know, especially with Andy Warhol and some of the mm -hmm. stuff that he was doing and some of the films. Um but it's art that tries to put your brain in a different space that the majority of the other music just doesn't force you to think like that or yeah. or doesn't ask that experience much something. Yeah. 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 So um Yeah, I guess that I can see that. So my spiel is uh so yeah, some people define it as art that was made while on psychedelics. So if you're right. you know like if it's influenced by psychedelics, then it's psychedelic mm. art is how some people would, would define it. Some people define it as music that was made during a certain time. Okay. You know, um, or influenced by certain culture. So this, this, that's this, really the big, the bigger thing for me. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but to me, I think of it as art that has some some type of disassociative quality to it that sort of dispend, suspends the feeling of uh, time and space in some way that sort of gets you to ask this question of, you know, sort of where am I, when am I, how right. long have I been here, <laughs> you know, things like that. So in that, but, but, but my debit, but by my definition, that means that bands like Meshuggah have a psychedelic element to mm. them. Sure. And, or for me, bands like Nile, you don't get it as much on Nile's records, but when you see Nile live, to me, there's a, there's a psychedelic quality to it. Because you can just kind of turn off your cerebral brain and you're still going to be guided through an experience. Mm -hmm. um, I would say live tools, live shows are like that. I was going to bring up tool as the other sure. example that I can think of. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And then you think about like the nature of those songs. They're nonlinear. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's not because a, a song that has sort of a grounded, you know, intro verse chorus, verse chorus bridge, you always you know, have your sense of space. You have your sense of location in a song like that. All right, we're in yeah. the middle of the song and we're fixing to not be in the middle of the song. But, you know, if you're, you know, experience, you know, if you're watching a jam band <clears throat> or, or something like that and, and the band is going out into outer space, you don't know when it's going to end and you don't know where it's going to go. Right. And that's going to suspend the, the, you know, the sensation of time. It's going to make you experience time in a different way. Yeah. And so, 
that's sort of so almost everything on this playlist has some aspect of that yeah to me you know uh and i don't know i just i think i i wanted to get y'all's y'all sort of viewpoint on that because it's a it's a term that gets thrown one it's a term that gets thrown around a lot but it's especially gonna get thrown around a lot when you're talking about pink floyd oh totally yeah i guess the, the other thing i would say about that is um uh I think people use it typically to describe music that takes you on a journey. Like sort of like you said, right. it's a pretty standard thing, which I love. I'm, that's one of my favorite things when music can do that. Right. Or, or art in general, but music typically lasts a duration as opposed to like looking at visual art or whatever, right. you know. I guess you can do that too, but that's fine. I don't – I'm not a big visual art guy, so let me just get that out there. Um, sorry, Justin. Um, <laughs> no, um, but uh, so I love that about music and art in general that it can take you on a journey. I just don't care to call it psychedelic. Mm. I just care to enjoy the journey and have, sure. have that be the thing. Psychedelic right, has a really cheesy feel to it. It just has a certain connotation to it that mm, I don't yeah. care to invoke. Yeah, because if you if you stretch my definition, like. A little bit, then it's like, well, that's all music, asshole. That's all art, <laughs> you know. You, you know, and, and I, and I, I but, understand that. But you're that. being specific on the. It's, it's not intro, verse, chorus, verse, outro, or whatever the fuck, you know. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, it, and, it, and Tool is a weird example because they definitely take you on that journey, but it's a very you know the structure of that song. It's not a jam band, um, and that's a different that is equally valid, but a different thing. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Like this is not jam band. No. Um, right. Which I'll talk about later. Um, that's in my hot take section. All right. All right, uh, all right. So, but yeah. Um, so is it just me or does the, you know, interstellar, whatever, it, does it Overdrive. have like Overdrive. a yeah. big space trucking? Like, is it almost playing the riff to space trucking? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't the only person who's hearing that. Um, so is that like Sid Barrett? Is this, is this like a quintessential Sid Barrett guitar song? Um, you know, I think so. Because the guitar is fucking weird. Yeah. And like sloppy and goofy, but amazing. But maybe not was in it, key. Is this the one where towards the end it's just like hitting the pickups with the fucking yeah. string and it's just like tink, 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 mm -hmm. super loud and grating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. It, so another thought that I had on listening to these these the the first the the first record specifically is it almost sort of feels like they were trying to capture what they did live and just weren't quite able to, hmm. very possibly. Um, and because like what I've heard about like like the Meters record, the right. first Meters record, they were playing those songs in like long jam formats every night, you know, like and then it was like then they went into a studio and it was like well you gotta like. I know that that's like a 12 minute jam when y'all are a 15 minute jam. Um, but we need to make it a three minute song. And so all of those songs are like this very tight distillation yeah. of, of these longer sort of improvisational vibe musical statements. And I wonder if there was like sort of a similar thing going on on their first record of, you know, it feels like that. I don't know the story. Mm. but I, I bet that's probably pretty accurate. Um, I also think <clears throat> the space between 
Saucer and Piper, when they had brought in David Gilmore mm-hmm. to try to add some stability. There's that word. Right. Um, There's a know, jump. Yeah. There's and a jump. And I think there was a there was some definite frustration on Sid Barrett's part. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you if you've read much about, but he he introduced this song to the band called Have You Got It Yet? And they're playing through it. And every time it was like they would almost figure out what he was doing, he would change what he was doing. And then they would almost figure it out and he would change what he was doing. You know, either the meter or the key, he was like really... And and you get that feeling, like that's just how his brain worked in some of the... A lot of the songs on, um, on Saucer. And he just had this... This extremely nonlinear approach to music, yeah, and that was actually the reference in Dark Side of the Moon. And when you're the band you're in starts playing different tunes, mm. Mm. talking about "Have you got it yet?" Was he just fucking with them on that one? Yeah, because it's called "Have you got it yet?" Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, that um, I feel like I've worked with people that are kind of like that, <laughs> and and when it works, it's amazing. But yeah. There, it's real frustrating to try to build something mm. with, with guys like that. I'm not talking about Michael with Small Deal. That's that's mm. not him at all. Like he was, me and Michael worked very well together, <laughs> um, and we built stuff really, really well. I'm talking about someone else. Just to be clear, no, no. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, Small Deal did. We did. We did call ourselves like psychedelic. You know, funk. You called yourselves the Pink Floyd of Houston, Texas. We all know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> no, I, 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 and I think. Um, and to me, that's something I really value about those early years. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's, you know, I've made the comment to you before that, uh, I feel like even though he wasn't there for more than one album and one song, he had such a lasting impression on me. Clearly. Sure. That they made albums about him for like a decade past. Yeah. 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 Totally. And I mean, he had, he had such an influence on those guys, um, because he taught them how to think differently. And I think they spent the rest of their musical career trying to do right by that. Yeah. I mean, it almost feels like the, the first era that pre dark side of the moon era Mm -hmm. is them sort of taking the assumptions of, or the premises of Sid Barrett to, to as many to like, well, let's let these premises play themselves out. Right, you know, and let's let's stretch these out, and and uh, and I will say that I I think that the pre Dark Side of the Moon Pink Floyd m- that band might have the potential to be one of my favorite bands mm. ever. So wow, I, damn! I just I I whoa! Can we can we just like <laughs> hold on a minute? <laughs> that's a that's wait, wait, a wait, prof- hold on hold on pre metal. I mean pre metal. All right, mm. that's a that's a <laughs> profound <laughs> switch for you. I feel like. Well, how, how so? Um. Well, you just say has the potential to be. Well, I, I can't, what is that contingent on? Me spending more time with it, okay. and not and, and knowing more about it than just these. Playlists. I've often felt <laughs> okay. that if you That's spent time with Umaguma, you would really dig that album. I really did. You put, you put I, almost all of it minus I, the drum solo. I, <laughs> 
And the well, live you know, tracks. That was, and, 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 you know, Rob will understand this struggle. If I'd have done that, I, I just should have put the whole album on there. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and you got to stop somewhere. <laughs> but you so. you were so close to putting the whole thing on there. You know, I really, and I really, <laughs> what was really difficult was I, I genuinely wanted to put the entire um, momentary lapse of reason on there. That's that's actually my favorite Pink Floyd album, even though it sounds probably the most dated. Mm. It definitely does sound that. So so tell me more about this record. That's that's near the end. You know that was one of the okay later ones. Okay, we can, well let's get to like, that. I, okay, yeah. okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, but yeah, I really liked all the Sisyphus tracks. And, oh yeah, and all that. So there is a funny thing that happens at the end of I guess it's part four. It totally sounds like a Cradle of Filth song. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has like, you know, because yeah, like all the synths and this, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, I don't know if I can like, let me see if I can pull up an example to kind of convey the idea. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked Umaguma overall. Mm. I really, really did. And so that was kind of what, what, what Richard Wright's baby like that was like his idea like let's all go in the studio and each one of us does like a solo like a suite of yeah so i mean i just read the wikipedia article i don't fucking know something like that yeah. his research um, <laughs> deep dive but like you know this that kind of shit yeah so it's almost like phantom of the opera you know, um, well, yeah, you know, man, it's, it's, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote I mean, metal. It's I not bad. I, I could probably find a better example, but it, it just it gave me those those vibes. Um, you know, like there's probably like a lot of like early 90 or, or, you know, like mid 90s symphonic black metal that probably sounds a lot like the mm. the last minute of Sisyphus 4. Yeah. <laughs> just that first part. Of right. Yeah. Yeah. Not that. Not that. Not that. Not that. You didn't like that part. That That was kind of. Rhythmic. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was, never mind. I'm just, Sorry. just giving you shit. Um, but yeah, and so like then Grand Meadow or Grand Grant Chester Meadows. Oh. That's Roger. That was Roger Walt Waters. Yes, that was his dig. So I have to say something about this song, and between this song and especially. Saucer full of secrets. It's like, where was Alan Parsons? I, I really feel like these albums, for all of the greatness of them, the engineer, the, the mixing really makes the product suffer in huh. some extent. Um, and I think Grandchester Meadows is one of those because <laughs> lyrically... It is one of the most ingenious, inventive uses of the English language, you know, especially when you get to that chorus, the way that he's using the phonetics of the words to almost make a, a, a very rhythmic musical, the, the hear the lark and hearken to the barking of the dog fox gone to ground, you know, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one criticism of that, of that song is that the EQ on that bird noise drives me crazy. I can't just focus on the beauty and majesty of the song. Huh. Maybe that's what they were trying to do. I don't know. Um, 
but there's this definite contrast between this like melodic, lazy kind of lilting verse yeah. from Roger Waters mm -hmm. with this annoying bird going through the whole damn song. <laughs> and I think if it just had been EQ'd <laughs> differently, it might have been a nice accent, but it's like this gigantic middle finger through the whole song. Is that is that right. how it hits you, Rob? Yeah, now that you mention it, I I mean, I didn't love it. Okay. I, I didn't love Omagoma, honestly. Going back to it, I, I I found I found that that track with all the all of the sounds and whatnot, I found it really charming, <laughs> especially like reading what it was supposedly about. Right. You yeah. know, it's like okay, man, I get, oh, that's nice. That's nice. What I, all I could think about is like how, because like now, if you want to get sounds like that, you just have like a Zoom H4 and you walk around and just point point and shoot with your battery operated field recorder, no fucking problem, man. I'm like, how the hell? What like what equipment did they have to drag around to to get those sounds? Right. This is another one of those things, kind of like all the the wild shit that they did on Dark Side and stuff like that. Where like, I wish I could have been there when this was contemporary mm. to like really understand the impact that it had. Right. Because it's so wild. Yeah. Um, and it kind of I feel like I kind of got lost with all their other stuff that happened. Sure. Yeah. But it, it, it's clear that even even. I guess you could really, really definitely say starting at, at Umaguma, they're 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 making records where they're not just experimenting with songs. Like they're experimenting with sound. And technique and everything. And yeah. and and you as a listener, what's the experience gonna be like? Not just hearing these notes in this order and this lyric and this melody, but what if you hear how's it gonna feel to hear this sound? Yeah. How's it gonna feel to hear that sound? What if this this sound sweeps from you know and all yeah. that? And you can tell that they're really, it, it, it's it's a it's made for a different, when when there's a different listener experience that's the predominant one, the predominant modality. Like we were talking about last time that, oh, someone's just, this isn't made to listen to in your car. Like, I, I really the fuck down. I exactly. really wish I yeah. could have been in the room when the record executives heard this for the first time. <laughs> you know, I mean, to me. There are so many other bands and movements that I feel like owe to owe themselves to this era of Pink Floyd. Um, and and maybe it's putting too much weight. I mean, I know that everybody gets inspiration from somewhere and they got it from somewhere and and I probably yeah. just don't know where they got it from. What's an example of a band that you feel? Um uh, Nurse with Wounds, Psychic TV, Genesis, Peorage. No, no, no. no. Uh, I, I asked for, I asked for uh, bands. Relevant, relevant bands. Wilco. I, I think I, I asked for relevant. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh. Ouch. I'm, I'm just being funny, guys. <laughs> oh, is that it? Is that what funny? No. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing. Uh, <laughs> awkward. No. I, funny no. odd. Not yes. funny haha. -ha. Yes. Um, no, I mean, I, there have been a lot of bands that I feel like owe something to this era of Pink Floyd. Well, sure. the, the, the ambition of it. Right. Like right. The, the idea of, of not staying. I mean, and I guess like that's maybe what I was trying to sort of put my finger on last time where I was trying to sort of compare it to the Beatles. Right. Mm -hmm. In a sense. Cause I mean, I guess some of this is like, Oh, this is Beatles with a, with a, not as much of a budget maybe. Um, or something like so, some of the, the, these first few records. Well, and, maybe. and I know that like the white album, um, and, uh, we mentioned it last week, even, um, 
pet sounds. They were mm-hmm. experimenting with things that they were getting from other places. You know, they were being inspired by what was going on in the sort of very early days of the noise movement. Mm-hmm. Um, Pink Floyd just went, okay, we're going to live here for a while. The commitment is the commitment to make a whole album, you know, that exper- that, that, that experiments, you know, and that, and like make, make a whole album of music that you can't play live. Yeah. And, and I guess it's sort of counterbalanced. Mike Patton. By- that's a relevant musician that I suppose I think owes something to this. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's not a bad point. I think that it's, yeah. So, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not. That's a hill I'm going to fight on right there. Um, I'll I'll do a fucking Faith No More cast. Let's do oh it. man! Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> or let's just Mike Patton that you do like a whole series of. I'm more Mike familiar Patton. with certain with like more of Mike Patton than I. Wait, yeah, no, I'm 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 not terribly familiar with Faith No More, so I'd be very oh, sure. down oh, for I'm, that. Yeah, I could. I'd I'd be down for Faith No More any day. Oh, so so speaking of yeah, I mean this is this just goes along. I'm just remember my rattling thoughts. Like it's mm-hmm. fascinating to consider how they recorded this before you had like a fucking you know graphical user interface like the editing on like specifically the the drum solo song you know where how the things are are, are there's like, a drum solo song on there <laughs> um are like sort of fading God. out and panning and stuff like that and just yeah. i mean i was even thinking about that whenever we were doing you know doing the pantera episodes and or, or whatever and you you know sure. what i mean before because even in the mid 90s it wasn't at, like it is today, yeah, yeah, it wasn't standard. It was a special thing, but yeah, back then, like there are stories of them, like just like you know, having to sit there and like under a microscope, like cut tape and mm. and glue it back together or whatever the fuck right. they had to do at that point. Right, and just the that that was editing, you know, that was a... right. It wasn't click click click. Yeah, you know, and so it's just it's it's so humbling in in so many ways to to think about it and to think about the. The, like like the clarity and the audacity of their vision, right? Mm-hmm. To 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 do that at that time with those tools, mm-hmm. because you weren't just fucking around with the, you you didn't just fuck around with the tools and and end up there. Right, you went in knowing yeah. what you wanted to do. Yeah, 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 and man, that is that is you monolithic. know it's it's funny to me though because there've always been. That's like a that's like a mark, in my opinion, of the sort of genius of some musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that Adam Yao worked the same way. Um, Beastie Boys. That you know, I remember, did you watch the the Beastie Boys story on Apple? Mm-hmm. Check it out. Do you have Apple TV? I've heard it was great though. It 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 was it was so good and it gave you such an appreciation for his genius and and the other it's so it's just the other two. It's Mike D and and uh Ad Rock Ad-Rock talking about their history, but it's really a love letter to Adam Yao. And they talk about walking into his room one day. This is uh pre um license to ill, and he's got this reel to reel that he's found. And he's got it strung around like a chair and a table. And he's got it, you know, all, strung all around his room so that he could slow down the drums on when the levee breaks. And it's like just he, he was looking for any way to do something different that would mm-hmm. inspire him. And it, 
for a time, a short time, I used to have a banjo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the funnest things that changed the way I approached songwriting Makes was sense. just doing something completely different and got my brain in a different space. But these guys take that to a completely different level. And, and I think it's that willingness, that, that sort of fierceness to put your career on the line and album after album after album <laughs> yeah. change the rules again. Right, yeah. Till yeah, you yeah, find yeah. something and then they hit gold. Right. And man, did they hit gold when they hit it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what, what's... Maybe what elevates them for me is that, like, absent all that shit, mm-hmm. I still like everything that I... Oh, yeah. That I liked it, you know... So so much of what they've done, I love. What do you mean? Not even taking any of that stuff into account. What are pioneers of new I ways see. of thinking about see, music or whatever. You, just the end product. You can just even just that. I see. Fucking wonderful. You yeah. don't yeah. need to know the story. Right. That it, doesn't affect my enjoyment. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, it does, but it doesn't. It doesn't diminish it. Not how I the got absence there. Of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, because there's some music that that that. N- it's kind of it loses a lot if you don't know the story behind it, mm. and you don't know the struggle that went into it or whatever. But then there's some music that's like I don't I don't I don't care how they made it or how easy or how hard it was. This is just give it to me. It's like if you're in the middle of sure. a terrible movie and somebody goes, "Hey, this was based on a true story." It instantly gets better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm with Robert. Depends on the movie. Depends, I guess. <laughs> depends on the story. Um, so what's a good, do you have an example of this? No, I don't. Oh, that <laughs> okay. not without my daughter movie with uh, Sally Fields <laughs> back in the eighties. Sorry. I'm showing was, my age again. I was really hoping you were going to say like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> oh, that was, <laughs> I was like, that was, a, that started off amazing. What are yeah, you talking that, about? That never did. Uh, communion with the, is that the alien movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> or Sorry. like, or like how they marketed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They said it was a true story. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I didn't know. Did that. we have this discussion? We did. We did. We did. Yeah. How'd that uh, discussion go, Shay? Why don't you recap it for us? Uh, I'll. I'm oh. It. You you recap it, because oh. I do remember also getting into Blair Witch. The the marketing for Blair Witch was the same way, but they didn't pull it off as well. So I, I don't know. I would argue that they did for the demographic that they were aiming for. Maybe. Because I went into that fucking movie not knowing what it was. Mm. Uh, sort of half expecting that it was like, wait, really? How did you do this movie then? You yeah. Know, that kind of... Not, right. not fully buying a into real it, but like... real snuff film. It worked. Yeah. Right, yeah. No, we got into like a, a, a little bit of a disagreement one time because he was like, did you, no, you, did you know the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was based on a real story? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, I Shay, was it wasn't. I was a sucker for the marketing. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was loosely based on Ed Gein, but he didn't even own a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Much less a massacre. <laughs> or live in Texas. He lived in Wisconsin. Um, Gigi Allen. Oh, what God. about what about Gigi Allen? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he wanted to, to be that. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> oh, I'm going to shit my pants on stage. It's art. Oh. That, am I thinking of the right guy? Yeah, yeah, you are. You are. Okay. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone says with a resignation. Uh, um, so then the next record, what's the next record called? Obscured by Clouds? That one? With the, with the cow on it? That's Adam Hart Mother. Oh, Adam Hart Mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So it's funny because it got to this one, and on the first listen, I barely remembered these songs at all. Because I think <laughs> that just like my synapses were just fried 
from Umaguma. But mm. on second listen, I was like, oh, if this is nice. Yeah. And then Summer 68, I'm like, this is a cool horn thing. And then I love the piano and orchestration in this song. And that mm-hmm. this is the Summer 68. That was a song that made me have the thought of like, this era probably has the potential to be my favorite band. And I think a, mm. one of my favorite bands, I think a big part of it is the piano playing and the, having that color featured so predominantly in there. Yeah. 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 It really highlights what a fantastic player he is. Yeah. Well, and I, I just, I just, man, I just, I feel like I have a whole life. I feel like I have the rest of my life because that's what's going to take to understand the genius of Richard Wright and Nick Mason. Mm. <laughs> they, they both are really understated. Like they really genuinely are. Yeah. I mean, you've got two other dudes like Waters and Gilmore in the band. Like you're going to get overshadowed. It's yeah. kind of a, uh, just a fact of life, unfortunately. I mean, I, I bet those paychecks helped, but still. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But but still, like you can't you can't fake that artistry that those two dudes had, and then and then on I guess on their later material, how they come in perfect. Because I mean, like that was the thing that was on that middle era of Pink Floyd. It was like I I sort of had this idea that I thought that at that time they might have been on their fifth drummer. And they finally got a guy that would just calm the fuck down and do what they told him to do. And that maybe one of, you know, that like they had a keyboard player live, but really David or Roger did it. Right. It was just like studio guys they got or or touring rather. That's really what I thought. It was like Steely Dan. Exactly. That's exactly what I thought. Comparison you made. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so to, to like find out that it's like, no man, they have their own. Adam and Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is. It's exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Except uh, Bono didn't play bass. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> the less Bono does, the better. I'm going yeah. to go ahead and say it. Keep him humble. Keep him humble. <laughs> it's working, Bullshit. huh? It's working. Yeah. <laughs> no, they've been trying for decades and they can't pull it off. Um, all right. So, what do you like? All right, so on on like metal, a lot of things. What do you, fuck, <laughs> like, what do you what like? do you like? So when it got to so metal is sort of right on the threshold. Is that the last record before Dark Side, or is there another metal record? and then Obscured by Clouds yeah. and then Dark Side? Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah 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 yeah. Um, so so how do those records sit for y'all? For me, it. it for me, Adam Hart Mother is where they start to find, I guess, what eventually becomes their sound. Um, metal is where it gets matured a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then Obscured is where it just really gets refined. Um, and it, it, it's it's a really nice precursor to where they go from there. But it, um, there's nothing... It, it's like they've, they've figured out where the hybrid of the sort of avant-garde stuff meets with the traditional and they're just kind of honing their craft at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of exactly how I feel about it. Mm. Cause like, yeah, like metal is where I think they like hit their stride really. Yeah. But Adam Hart mother, like if is a great example of that, like where they kind of have a cool, interesting lyrical theme and it's just, a solid track the whole way through. It's yeah. Very, it's, it's very Pink Floyd. I don't know. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a great up. Pink Floyd song that yeah. feels like it could fit anywhere in the next 10 years. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Pretty mm. much. And so, 
the one, the album before Dark Side, mm-hmm. um, the one with like what's 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 the deal? What's, uh, the deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, Obscured by Clouds. Yeah. What do y'all do? You feel like there's a big jump between that one and Dark Side, or does it feel like? Well, they're cl- doing close to the same thing. Dark Side is just the one that got legs. I guess, like, how how unique do you feel like Dark Side of the Moon is compared to this one? You want to go first? I think it's I think it's a huge jump. I think it's a huge uh, jump too. Okay. I think it's I think Dark Side is hugely unique for one I, thing. I think okay. I think a lot of that's the production and mm-hmm. the engineering and all that stuff. But I think a lot of that is just they had these ideas and they went in and they executed like flawlessly and they were all very interesting ideas. How fucking insane is it that in what what five years, five six years they go from what Piper at Dawn or or yeah. saucer saucer, full, saucer of full, of secrets full of secrets to Dark Side of the Moon? Yeah, that is yeah. Oh my god, with the same four guys, it's a, it's amazing right. to consider that music itself could move that like right <laughs> like the, like the the effort of the entire culture. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> could move that far in in five years yeah and technology and all of it could 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 you know because i think of five years ago from now and i'm like i was doing the same shit i'm doing now like yeah yeah and they did that like god damn it man so uh, when i was <sighs> in college i remember my my music theory professor would get really frustrated when we would talk about no no there's no 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 i'm resisting <laughs> my i'm resisting my urge to make old jokes <laughs> Um, oh, that's what's going on. All right, I'm, and I'm like, I gotta stop. It's it's no, it's it's, it's, it's getting old. There it is. Yeah. Um, so um, your music theory professor. Yeah, yeah. He 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 would get frustrated when we would talk about 20th century composition and try to get you know into out of tonal harmony and into more modern avant garde stuff. And and his point was that has a place. But you have to know the rules mm. before you learn how to break them. And yeah. and I feel like what, what they did, especially on uh, Obscured and Metal, was that they defined their rules. And then when they went into the studio for Dark Side of the Moon, they went, okay, now that we've figured out our rules, let's break them. Let's go back to the mm. beginning and figure out how to take where we are and and make it perfect hmm. like the the best hybrid possible and and it's like they they stayed more consistent it's their music became more linear at that point sure but they they decided to like it was a huge ambition to like shoot i was going to say shoot for the moon i totally unintended pun but they they hit it Right, right, right. It it almost sort of reminds me of the the. I know there's lots of reasons why this doesn't apply, but sort of from like Injustice for All to the Black Album of right. of that, you know, those first four Metallic albums are you know like they're they're finding, maybe not their rules, but they're finding their limits. Mm. How far do we want to go that way? How far do we want to go that way? How far do we want to go that way? And you kind of get all that out. And then you're able to make this very focused record where you've kind of like gotten all of your ego and bullshit out of the way. And right. now you can prioritize the sonic quality of it. You can right. prioritize like, the details of it. And and, and, and by real ver- ass producer to come in. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and, and by virtue of that, someone who will agree with your drummer. Yeah. Same on dark side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and by by the same virtue, they simplified their songwriting right. to an extent. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and really and truly, dark side of the moon has some pretty simplified songwriting, but they in in simplifying the songs, they opened up. It's not me, is it? It's you. I don't think it's me, is it? Nope. It was me. <laughs> it was me, Austin. By the way, anyway. my favorite Pink Floyd song of all time. On the Turning Way. We'll get to that we'll later. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like so there's a different level of yeah, the the songwriting. And the structures are streamlined on dark side, but the execution is no less masterful. Oh, it's, it's like it's top fucking notch at that yeah, point. Yeah, but it's not masterful in in sort of a, a everything but the kitchen sink kind of way. No, the way that like Umaguma is or or something like that. Yeah, they, right. They, they 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 took a very much less is more approach and made something really magical. Right. Yeah. Like once you've played all the notes. <laughs> Right. Then, then you no can then you can go and just play the notes that that count. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Is a way to say it. Sounds dumb coming from a a guy who's in like a death that's like into technical death metal. I'm still I still haven't found all the notes. Yeah. One of well, these days. And, and that's I think that's, and maybe it was Jeff Tweedy, but somewhere along the way I picked up this phrase of songwriting that yeah go in, record, do whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. And then take out everything that it doesn't have to have. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know the whole story with that album. I, I, I've resisted the urge to watch the documentaries that they've made about Dark Side. Because, you know, it like demystifies <laughs> it a little bit. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, I get it. But I, I, I often wonder. I, I have listened to the demos. Mm. Um, and How the, close are they? Very close. Interesting. Yeah, it's like they didn't they didn't go in and record all this elaborate stuff and then streamline and bring it down. The demos were pretty. They they'd already done the work. Yeah, and so I mean that's that 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 doesn't surprise me because then while they're in the studio they focus on the production, right, right, and not the songwriting. Mm -hmm. And that's even more wild because it was only a year before their previous album, or since their previous album. I yeah, say. right, right. And there was like, imagine how much work went into like. Because they went out and did a lot of interviews for the, for mm. Dark Side, right? Yeah. Because they're, it's full of just snippets of people just saying shit, mm -hmm. and they took the stuff that was like that worked for the thematic stuff that they wanted to do and weaved it in, and then to actually physically do that in the studio took so much more work than it does today, like you were saying earlier. Oh, sure. Um, but to have, like you said, like have that idea going in, yeah, and then execute on it, that that part blows me away still to this day, like. Like yes, this album is highly rated, possibly overrated. I don't know, but it it's crazy that it happened, mm -hmm. and it is as good as it is. It it seems to be a really unique record in the sense that I don't really know that it's like it is insanely highly rated, but I don't know that it's. I don't know. I'm never. I don't know that it's really overrated. Mm. Maybe it's. Not, I I wouldn't say that it is, but maybe some people would say that it is. You know, so. and and again, and even whenever I would wave that critical pink floyd flag mostly just for goofs i i still wouldn't shit on the <laughs> wouldn't shit on the music you know like i mean it would be like oh you know man their fans are pretentious or or, or whatever they smell bad. Or, or pink floyd is is for 
is for people who know the pentatonic scale but hate jazz you know like that's <laughs> that's that's who pink floyd's for or whatever um all right so so then you know after after you know that record then they made a few albums that some it, people have listened to i've never really heard of them and then they yeah. then they find then they got finally got to final cut where stuff started to matter right can we pause all right, so we're at final cut now. So we've skipped like five years. Is Six that years. all? It, no, it's more than that. Seventy-three to eighty, which is seven. Seven years. What did I say? Seven, five, six, seven. So, um, so tell me, about... seventy-three to eighty-three. Was final cut eighty-three? Final cut was eighty-three. Ten years. Damn. So now, right. Richard had left for this one, right? No. He, because he left before Roger did. He, yes, he left it like mid-session. Uh-huh. But he came back. Right. Right, 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 right. But, but Final Cut was, for all intents and purposes, it really was just a Roger Waters solo record. Okay. Um, and it's, it's actually my least favorite Pink Floyd record. Okay. I think it's generally regarded as like the wall B-sides. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, it was some leftover material from the wall, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For yeah, for good reason. So, what do, so so it's your least one of your least favorites. Yes. How do you feel about it, Rob? Yeah, kind of yeah. Kind of lukewarm. It's kind of it's got some great tracks on it. Like the couple you put on here are okay. Uh like when the Tigers broke free is a really good one. Yeah. Um but it's not anything I ever like seek out really mm. uh, this is not an album i'm just gonna sit down and play i see yeah okay um i thought the li my notes on it were like these are incredible lyrics yes you know so i mean so what is it missing it feels like a roger waters solo album for the most part so is just is david gilmore's sound not present on it is it it's there here and there it's it's just not I think the songwriting is probably predominantly Waters, which was kind of like the which was kind of what the wall was. Yeah. As well, like like yeah. Once we got to, I'd have to do my research on whether it kind of started at Animals or not. But mm -hmm. the wall was like largely a Roger Waters affair mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Do you feel like if there was some alternate universe where you didn't hear the wall, that you would enjoy Final Cut? Maybe. Maybe. I don't think so. Okay, so it's not that it does the same thing the wall does, but just not as good. It's that it does something different that you don't like as much. Well, I don't think it has the cohesion that the wall has at all. Yeah, oh, it's okay. it's more of a collection of B sides. Yeah, from the that session that that sound a lot like that session that sound like they were written during that session. Right. That don't have an overarching that right. thematic thing. Yeah. And that's the whole thing about the wall that makes it as amazing, right? Is the it's, cohesion. Yeah, it's the story. Yeah, because there are some amazing individual tracks on that album, but they work well in the context of what that yeah. whole thing is. So, it, it, okay. it's you know, the the sum of the the parts <laughs> is greater than the whole. Yeah, the yeah there or, was a, yeah, yeah this is greater than the sum of the parts. Or yeah, 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 um, yeah. I'm I'm just no, I'm you know, and I, I I agree. I think Roger Waters is an incredible lyricist. And yeah. he's a great songwriter. Um, 
I've always felt that his vocals mm-hmm. were not necessarily my favorite. There, okay. it, it works in some contexts, like especially in in places like in the Wall, or or in uh, um. Dark Side of the Moon, where I think last time we talked about the the sort of frantic or emotional um, elevation that his voice can get, and in, in, in that kind of context, it really fits the material. Right. But I think that's him kind of leaning from a from a vocalist standpoint. I think that's him leaning into his weaknesses. That his voice isn't a really strong voice, and mm. he he leans into that. You know, in the same way that you know, Tom Morello is not a shredder. But he's an incredible right. inventive guitarist, and I'm not going to take away that he's he's an incredible guitarist. But he's you know he's not an Eddie Van Halen. Like he's a little bit of a shredder. He but can be. Yeah, yeah. He's got his moments. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But he leans into the fact that he he leans into those limitations and and makes something inventive right. from them. Right. And I think Roger Waters shines when he leans into that and does something inventive vocally because of those limitations. The problem, my humble opinion, and you know, this is going to be kind of a shit on Roger Waters moment. I'm sorry, but his ego is so big. I don't know that he sees those as limitations. I think he thinks he needs to be front and center period. And I think it's that ego that drove him to leave. And I don't think Pink Floyd suffered by his absence, but his solo stuff suffers by everybody else's absence in Mm -hmm. that. And I think Final Cut was the beginning of seeing that happen because I think what you're talking about, Richard Wright, he was pissed at Richard Wright because Richard Wright wasn't coming with much material. and Yeah, because it says Richard Wright left. Like, he's not on Final Cut. He's not? No. Hmm. Okay. So it says he left in, and I know David Gilmore didn't have any material to offer. He kind of he was showing up to do his thing, but I don't think there's one song on there that he wrote. Mm. Yeah, like I'd have to go back and actually look at the credits and everything again. But I really like I I don't consider Final Cut to be one of Pink Floyd's albums. I yeah, see. I consider it to be here's some stuff that we had to release. Uh, I mean, sometimes that, I mean, sometimes that shit happens because it's the, you know, you got to put a record out and I think they put out a compilation right before it or something like something, something dance songs or some shit. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I forgot all about that. You know? And like, you know, you, sometimes shit like that happens where it's only kind of one member who's motivated and who is contractual obligations that need to be met. Oh, holy shit. You know who did the piano? I didn't realize this. Who did the piano on? Final Cut. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Pavarotti. Close. Michael Kamen. Oh, oh, shit. Okay. How about that? Like the first, like the the conducting an orchestra with a rock band. Yeah. Michael Kamen. The yeah. pioneer of S&M fame. Yep. Yeah, he was doing it years before that. Queensryche. We're back to Queensryche. <laughs> it always all, comes back to Queensryche. All roads lead to Queensryche. To the Reich. Wait, no, I don't. No. Wait, <laughs> hold on. Sorry, no. Full circle. R Y R Y C H R Y R Y. Fuck. Warning. Um. Boy. Sorry. So okay. So then Roger leaves. So, but yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. That is an interesting idea of that. You know that you think that his he probably didn't see those as weaknesses and 
you know, maybe has this tremendous ego and whatever, but I don't know, man, after you like take the reins and you create something like the wall, how the hell could you not? What, what, what kind of fucking monk would you have to be to, <laughs> well, to not get a little full of yourself after, yeah. after, you know, I, I think that's yeah. a fair, so, fair statement. And, um, I, and I feel like, I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing. That's the really enigmatic thing about making art at this level, mm. you know, at that, at that level where you're, there's millions and millions and millions of dollars to be made. And that, because no one really knows exactly how to get it right in a dependable, reproducible way. It just seems to happen sometimes. And like you were saying that, oh, well, sometimes you need a, you know, you need, you know, you have, you need an idea guy and you need a no guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And it, I think they, ba- I think everybody in, in Pink Floyd is, serves that purpose. I really do. I, I've always got the feeling that mm-hmm. they've had a really, they were each an idea guy and each other's no guy. I mean, that's how a healthy thing needs to work. Right. I mean, I remember when, you know, like in All Severed, it was, we had, we had a dynamic that I sort of imagine is similar to like the, the Metallica dynamic where it's like James and Lars are like always kind of fighting over things, (laughs) you know? And that was like me and Jeremy, (laughs) but you know, you were like the tiebreaker always that was like your role so if if i felt this way and jeremy felt this way then it was going to be it was going to fall on you Mm -hmm. to sort of you know like you were always tasked with being like the diplomat and to sort of like find the way between those and that's one way yeah it's like a more involved kirk in that way Mm. well yeah well i mean that's the thing too is like because kirk is kind of portrayed as as not being terribly involved he's he's very much shown though yeah. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. 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 You weren't as uninvolved as Kirk has been portrayed. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Is not what I mean to imply. I just. I just. Just. I mean like. Um. Jeremy and I would be very, very passionate about the way that a section should be, or the way a riff should be, or the way something should be, and like almost to the point of fist fighting. <laughs> you know, and Robert would be like, well, I think that one works better. And, and we sort of understood as like the tacit agreement of that this is how this band functions. Okay. And if you were on the wrong side of that, then you would, okay. You just suck You'd it let up it go. Let it go. Okay. If I wanted to do something and neither Jeremy nor Robert wanted to do it, then I'd let it go. Majority rules. And so. A true democracy. This is how we do it. Yeah. Thank God we didn't have a fourth person. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we couldn't give a basis. Right. right. Um, that was really the saving grace. We are an odd numbered uh, band. <laughs> right. Of, of three dudes who mutu- who had a lot of mutual respect. Yeah. You right. know, exactly. no one had an outsized sort yeah. of power share yeah. or yeah. whatever. And that's one way. That's one way a band can work. Yeah. But other bands can work with there being this one dude who has yeah. this singular vision and everyone else's job is to just support and help that guy. Yep. Make the best decisions. Jeff Tweedy and Wilco. I wouldn't know. 
<laughs> but but Pro- probably Axl Rose and Slash and Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I, I I know fuck all nothing about how that band functions. I will say they don't I, function that well. I don't think. I, I will say the they have lately. Yeah, they've gotten back together, dude. Dude, Axel, I gained so much respect because you know, like that's the thing. Only Axel cancels concerts. Fuck him. Blah 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 blah. Oh. But when he stepped up to like fill in for Brian Johnson on those ACDC tour dates, whoa, yeah, I didn't know that, dude. Yeah. Gain, I have so much respect for Axel. When Rose he just now. had to huh. commit to a job and deliver. But, well, like, because that's a different, that's a, that is a, another level yeah. of I'm going to learn a two hour set yeah. and go out there and, and deliver on someone else's music. And mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, it's not going to be the me show. Right. Um, you know, it's got to. He could take a back seat in a way. And that is. That's interesting. That yeah. is next fucking level kind of shit for, for someone who is on the level that he's at to, to, to be able to do. So gain yeah. a lot of respect. Okay. You know, I, I do think that a band that does function like this and not to, to bring it back, but tool tool functions like this where they, they're each an idea person. And I think to an extent they're each other's no person too. How I don't even know how they, I, I've gotten the impression of the last few years is that the way that they function is that, is that tool is, you know, Adam, Justin and Danny. That's and, that's kind of how it's evolved. And then Maynard, he just shows up and writes lyrics. Is is like yeah. once over they're there. done with the music. Yeah, I think for the last few years it's been different because they've been putting on an album before Fear Inoculum since 2006. Right. And that was because of a lot of fucked up reasons, uh, like insurance and all kinds of crazy business nonsense. Come yeah. on, guys, just get some goddamn Geico. It's <laughs> <laughs> all. Save you 15 minutes on your... Anyway. Uh, Save you 15 years on your... Yeah. <laughs> on yeah, your album delays. Literally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was... I don't know if that was the case at 10,000 Days, because I think that was a big Maynard album. Like, he, mm-hmm. like that's about his mom, and... Yeah, okay. That's, that, that's a whole thing. Uh, but since then, definitely has become that, where it's like, they go into the studio and write the music, and then he brings lyrics after that. Yeah. And it's It's that. Dynamic. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. That, that, so, I guess we'll have to do some tool, some tool episodes also. Um, it's it's all yes. It's got to happen. It's it's there. Um, it's in the back pocket. So I have a question. It's in my front pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> all right. So yeah. then Roger leaves Floyd. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Now. Oh, that was what I was going to say. Uh, yeah. We were talking about the the sort of dynamic there and. Uh, that is what I think made them work so well for so long was that balance. And yeah, obviously it's a balance between the four guys because right. they're all creative. They all have creative input, but like on like ostensibly it's a, it's a balance between waters and Gilmore Yes, because those are the people you see most predominantly. Yeah. Um, and I feel like once, once they found that good balance, it worked well for a while. And obviously Roger Waters had his ideas that manifested in the wall. Mm. And then, you know, whatever right. happened after that, he, his ego got too big. He, right. you know, whatever exactly happened. I mean, there's so, there's so many things that go into that, that, that just, we have no idea. So, so yeah. like somebody like sort of, so if you look at, um, cause sometimes, sometimes someone just needs to go make their solo record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, but sometimes they can't do that. 
like maybe the record contract they signed right. doesn't actually allow them to do that. That's a thing. Yeah. Or some so another so this is fascinating to me. Okay, so Black Sabbath's career in the 80s is fucking <clears throat> insane because you have the first few albums with Dio. Okay, which that's like a different band. Mm. Almost that's almost like not even Black Sabbath, right. right? And then like Geezer, Tony, you know, and Bill were like hanging out with Ian Gillen from Deep Purple and like, yeah. Let's do a fucking band. Let's do a fucking we'll do like a like a yeah, let's fucking do a band together with this guy. And they they were they were trying to start a new band. And then they made them release it as a the the a label Sabbath. made them release it as a Black Sabbath record. I didn't know that. And it is Which album is that? Uh Born Again, I think is what mm, it's called. Okay. Um and it is an interesting record, but it is not a Black Sabbath record. Is that the so- the record with After Forever on it? No. no, after forever is was that Dio? After forever is with Ozzy. With Ozzy. Yeah, maybe you're thinking of a different song. Maybe so. Um, but and then Tony Iommi started playing with like Glenn Hughes, and was like, "Oh, I want to make a solo record with this guy." Makes you know, makes what he is intending to be a Tony Iommi solo record, and they're like, "No, no, 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 we're gonna release this as the Black Sabbath record." What the fuck? So this, so you get like a string of black Sabbath records that are not even intended to be black Sabbath records in the right. mid eighties. Right. So what you're saying is maybe St. Anger was supposed to be a Lars solo record. I don't, if, and if it was anybody's solo record, it was not Lars. I don't think, I don't think it, it was a of, snare solo record. It, mm, Sorry. That was, that, that, that goes back. <sighs> that was our first, our first our, argument, our very first. Oh, really? Our very first interaction, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like on Facebook, <laughs> was he, like friend of a friend kind of thing. Like he's shitting on Metallica, and I'm like being a Metallica apologist. Um, and then at one point, I'm like, "You just sound like you're an asshole." <laughs> and, and, and Chase, like, I've been accused of that. And and then I remember like Jaime was like, "Hey man, you want to come record some?" Songs? This is months later, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to come record some songs?" I was like, "Of course I will." And then. I like get there and he might have like told me like in the yard. He's like, hey, my friend Shay's going to record us. Jaime? Yeah, Jaime. Guzman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know he was a Lincoln. I was recording though. some of his. Oh my he was God. working on some solo stuff. And, yeah, I had no and, idea. So I show up and Sweet. set up drums in this fucking house. And and I'm like, you know what I mean? And like, and I'm like, oh, that motherfucker Shay's going to be <laughs> And so like the first little bit of that recording session is like he and I like kind of sussing each other out a little bit, but, <laughs> but us being very cordial because we both love our friend Jaime and we're not, right, right. No, even if we, it turns out we actually fucking hate each other. None of us, neither one of us were going to like compromise. You're not going to let it show for Jaime's sake. Uh, exactly. We're professionals. Yeah. We yeah. weren't, yeah. we were going to let it compromise Jaime's music. Right. Yeah. And then, and then like, I started like playing the drums and start doing my stuff. And, and, and then, and then we, we were like, oh, okay. You're all right. And then you're like, hey, have you heard the New Testament record? Gene Hoagland. <laughs> I'm like, is that the one Gene Hoagland plays on? <laughs> you know, and, and then we're like fast friends. And yeah, everything, awesome. everything was okay after that. It's all um, the Testament. Testament. Testament, testament to your re- healed what Metallica tore apart. <laughs> it's, a te- it's a testament to your friendship. It is a testament. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, how did we get there? I forgot. Um, uh, you were talking about solo records. Anger. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Street anger, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes a motherfucker just needs to make a solo record, and, a re- and so I guess like that's so what I'm like sort of I'm I'm speculating that like maybe there was all sorts of like factors for 
you know, why... The, why it wasn't even... just he got too big for his britches. It could be <laughs> yeah. so many different things. Yeah. yeah, there's just so much shit that, that happens that we just will never know because we're not well, in the room. One of the reasons yeah. I do say that is because they were very public about... Uh, Roger and David were very public about their disdain for one another. I see, okay. And... You know, they both they had both made comments that they would never play as Pink Floyd together again. I see. And it was such a huge deal when they finally did come back together at Live Aid eight. Right. And they actually shared a that was literally the first time they'd shared a stage together since he left after final cut. Right. Um, there was definitely a gigantic rift there. I see. Yeah, yeah. And so what was it like what was the attitude of the fan base after Roger left like like with the anticipation that okay we're getting another we're getting a Pink Floyd record that doesn't have Roger Waters on it like was the fan base skeptical were they like well man it's 3 quarters I'll take what I could get I'm really here for David anyway like I don't know man what what well, it was it was so, a long time afterwards Yeah it was, was it like 4 or 5 years Yeah it was 87 was the next one Yeah so it was it was a a 4 year Lapse, we'll say. Um, uh-huh. What I do remember about that time is that, and, and I don't remember if this was the first solo, but I remember being in a pizza place and they were playing videos on the wall. <laughs> um, and I rem- <laughs> <laughs> totally unintentional, sorry. <laughs> Um, this fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you. That got and they good. played the video for Dogs oh, of War. Shit. It was right after Dogs of War was released as, I think, the first single on Momentary Lapse of Reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever seen that video, but it really, it's kind of got this, do you remember the old uh, animated Lord of the Rings? Oh, the bo- bo- Bakshi. Yeah. Is that how you say his name? I think it's it, yeah. It, it, I don't think it was the same type of art, but it, it had that same like feel where they were animating over it was like rotoscope figures. Is what it was. Yeah. Yeah, there. That's okay. That's and the and it, it had this really different feel from anything that had been Pink Floyd before. Hmm. Um visually and and uh audibly. Um and I think that they really kind of said, okay, we used to be this thing and we're still going to have these same elements, but we're, we're something different right now. We're, okay. you know, it's not that we're going to pretend to keep doing the same thing we did with Roger Waters, but we're still going to have the same elements. We're still going to have the same vibe, the same influences, but it's not going to be what you expect. Okay. So it was just sort of a, you know, and, and, and uh, like they were very clear with yeah with what you should expect from this new iteration this post roger are you familiar with the the song dogs of war no so i even think it's an interesting nod to why didn't you include it then because i was going to put the whole album okay. on here um it he even kind of has a, a a roger waters vibe with his vocals because he's kind of got that elevated little anger. Don't play it too close to the mic so we don't. Copyright pop. strike. Right. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he's kind of got it that, that that bluesman swag to it. Yeah, a bit. yeah. Um, but it was a definitely a different vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, now when you get l- further into the album, it does have this sort of reminiscence of a lot of their earlier influences, a lot of their earlier takes. That was something I was going to say, um, because when it gets to sorrow, I was like, nice. It's like totally of its time. I was like, but maybe not because they played this way in 1975. And so it's, it's, you know, it's like you listen to it and it's like, yeah, this sounds like a lot of the shit that people were making in the eighties. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Pink Floyd maybe just was doing this first, you know, like, like when, when we were listening, I forget what track it was, but it was like, oh, well that's you too. And that's this and mm-hmm. that's that. And so, you know what I mean? And they created the, cl- the things that became cliches later. Yeah. Like in that sonic palette that they were sort of reaching from on like dark side or, or, you know, animals or whatever sort of. Right. I, I don't think that where they are in 1987 is really that far from where they were 10 years before, but everything else, but everything else around them is very far from where it was. Everything else is caught up. You're saying, I, in a, I guess in a way like, but caught, caught up in almost like a superficial way, Mm. you know, like, well, look, we got to have, we got to, everyone's got to make records that sound as good sonically as dark side of the moon. Right. Um, or everyone's trying to use that David Gilmore guitar tone now um, and whatnot. I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of reaching. I do think that one of the, you know, there was a huge technology shift in record making and recording sure. yeah. in that time frame. Um, everything was moving digital. Everything Already? was... In the late 80s. In the late 80s. Mm, okay. Um, you know, that was one of the things that I saw it in in the the metal records that were being made. They started sounding cleaner. They they started to sound sure. colder. They had lacked that sort of analog warmth to them. Um and mm. and I feel like one of the other shifts that happened in the 80s was everybody started to try to utilize electronic drum kits. Oh yeah. Um, sure. And and I feel like that's where this record suffers. And I, I kind of alluded to this last week that um I feel like the the stuff that was done in that middle period had the the best like records as a whole. Mm, sure. But this era has some of my favorite songs as a whole. And 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 because of that, I think this is actually my favorite record even though I feel like it's one of the most dated because they, they were trying to use some of those elements that they lost that timelessness. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I fully agree. Like the thing that hit me the most, cause like I, learning to fly is one of those songs that will always make me feel weirdly nostalgic for mm. like a period that I didn't really exist for. Right. In a weird way. That It's, it's one of those songs that really hits that note. I love that song. Oh um, yeah. But this album kind of the rest of the stuff, or, or the next two albums, I should say, really feel like 80s-ass 80s albums for, for reasons <laughs> like that. For like, yeah. Like the, the drum sounds, uh, just the overall production quality, the sort of just like, everything feels very rounded off and mm. everything's got reverb on it. Um, like too polished. Almost too polished, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, it just sounds very, very of its time, whereas uh, some of the stuff otherwise sounds a bit more timeless in a way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that one. I really wish they would have stuck with their production value from the past. It's I bet I, I mean it's so hard to sort of imagine being in that era because now cuz we at this point we've already seen the sort of return. Oh yeah. You know, we've seen the cycle repeat as far as what the the, the values in production. At that point, man, it seemed like everything was just deterministic and linear. Like we're just going to keep progressing. We're just going to keep progressing. And so it would have been like if the, at the time, if they would have made a really organic throwback 70s record, it, it might not have sold at all. They might not have been able to do absolutely anything with it. Maybe yeah. so. And it might have felt like just the most lazy, trotted out, tired bullshit, even though it would be it would have a timeless sound to it. You know, because that's the thing. You don't know yeah. what sounds dated right. until 10 or 15 years later. Yeah. You know, you can't see it while you're in it. Yeah. Like, I wonder what the, I wonder what the um, headspace was for artists at that time. Because, like, even in the 90s, we can look back and say, oh, the 70s were like a golden era of this type of classic rock. Mm -hmm. But in the, you know, when you get to 1981 or whatever, was it like, fuck, man, we just had a decade of this shit. We we want something new. Everybody wants something new. Right, right, right. Was that part of it? Was that a big part of it? I, it seems like it probably was because it feels like everybody went that way. It, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and then you had metal albums, and that was like a totally different thing. Right, right, yeah. And then so. I mean, and metal is a is a counterculture thing exactly. anyway, so right. you can't like draw direct. Yeah, you know, that's but, what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, shit. Like the reason. That, so, so here's an example. The reason electronic drums sound dated is because at some point people stopped using electronic drums. Right. If we kept <laughs> using them, it would just sound fair. like drums. It would just sound like drums. Mm, that's a fair point. Like the reason that the, that some of the guitar and the drum sounds on like Dark Side of the Moon or whatever, or like that kind of delay or whatever <clears> he's <throat> using on on animal, whatever it was, the reason that doesn't sound dated is just because people kept doing it. Or the reason it doesn't that's sound dated point. in the same way. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's just because that, that's what determines if something tracks as being dated. is just if people stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. I mean, in a way, people kind of came back. Like you said, like they kind of came back around to doing it in a way. But it's, it's right. for a nostalgic purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, so. Okay. So, Go ahead. Do, no, no, no. Do you have anything else on that one? Um, I, I, I don't, I don't really, so, you know, um, oh, well, there is, there is one thing. Okay. One other thing. Um, we've got, so anyway, uh, is there a clear, um, line or a difference in Roger and David's, um, lyrical style to you as like what they write about or their delivery? I know, I know there's a difference in their vocals mm. and their vocal delivery, but, but, but as far as their, their their songwriting, their, you know, like what they, the subjects they write about. So I don't know that I can say this definitively, mm -hmm. but my impression has always been that Roger Waters usually writes 
from an introspective perspective and David Gilmore usually writes from a critical perspective, like political mm. and mm. that kind mm. of thing. That sounds right. Okay. Yeah, that seems kind of correct. Like David Gilmore seems to write from more of a uh, um, metaphorical perspective mm -hmm. also, whereas Roger Rodgers is very much like in – he's like – he can only write from his perspective in a way. Yeah. Like, mm. yeah, introspective is a way to say it, but, like, also typically more first person. Yes. Oh, well, I don't want to say that. That's a bad way to say it, but... I think I understand what you're saying, though, because even if he's not writing in first person, or and even if he is using metaphor, he is still describing something very personal. He's, he's describing a, an emotion. Yeah. Because, um, like, learning to fly is all from somebody's perspective, but it's like how to say that like uh it's not how i'm feeling it's like ha what's happening to me it, does yeah. that make sense yeah like, yeah 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 well and, and like a lot of lyrics of roger seem like they're they're like he's dealing with his trauma he's dealing mm -hmm. with you know the shit he went through the his relationship with his dad his relationship, you know all this sort of stuff and he's using it in he's doing it through through metaphor and through all these types of things but he's still it's very it feels very direct yeah, in a, in a way that that to me the Gilmore stuff later on does not. Uh, it feels very like abstract. It feels more mm. like removed a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, in a way. Cool, 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 cool. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have a lot uh, to say on these on these two. Um, you know, other than what I've already kind of alluded to. I, I will say that I think. One of the reasons that I, I do love this era of Pink Floyd and specifically this record, um, that even though it sonically sounds dated, mm -hmm. that lyrically it's timeless to me. Mm. Um, I remember in the summer of 2020, uh, George Floyd all the demonstrations, stuff going on with the school board, the, all the stuff going on in Baytown in my own life. Mm -hmm. um, and there would be times when I would listen to On the Turning Away and just cry. It was, it felt so relevant and, and uh, relevant, relevant. Uh, you know, just these lyrics, On the Turning Away from the Pale and Downtrodden and the words they say, which we won't understand. Don't accept that what's happening is just a case of others suffering, or you'll find that you're joining in the turning away. It's a sin that somehow light is changing to shadow and casting its shroud over all we have known and aware how the ranks have grown driven on by a heart of stone. We could find that we're all alone in the dream of the proud on the wings of the night and the daytime is stirring where the speechless unite in a silent accord using words you will find are strange mesmerize as they light the flame feel a new wind of change on the wings of the night no more turning away from the weak and the weary no more turning away from the coldness inside just a world that we all must share it's not enough to just to stand and stare is it only a dream that there'll be no more turning away man that song every single time well that to me makes that song absolutely not of the 80s because <laughs> i i don't know if there's any song <laughs> any song that had that much <laughs> sort of emotional and philosophical weight behind it yeah that was released during that period of the 80s 
in the late 80s, you know? And, and so much of his <laughs> lyrics, to me, hit me like that. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just a... He's a powerful songwriter, and and this is still one of my favorite albums to listen to from start to finish, skip nothing, nice. just Very set cool. it and go. Very cool. Um, and then the next one is... <sighs> The Division Bell. Yeah. So I have to start this with a story. Okay. Because um, this came out when I was in college. It was 94. Yeah. It was my last year in college. Um, I know that makes me old. And uh, What? No. What? No. Come on. And I had a... Uh, I'll never forget this. This is simultaneously one of the best adult decisions I've ever made mm -hmm. and one of the worst musician decisions I've ever made. Um, I had an opportunity to go see them on this mm. tour in Dallas, Texas. Bought a ticket. Even in 1984, the ticket was $84.50. Damn. Making your money, David. Mm -hmm. Making your money, David. I bought the ticket. The day of the concert came, and I realized I had a Spanish final the next day. And I knew, I knew that if I went to Dallas, I was gonna fail that Spanish final. And it was my last. It was it was the second semester because uh, I think it was like in April or or, or March, um, and it was like I was I was nearing the end. And if I flunked this final. I was not going to graduate, and I had to graduate. What a tough decision. Poor K. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I gave the ticket to a friend. Well, and, at least you uh, did that. Did I they did go? Not go, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. I did not go, and I've, I've yeah. regretted it because I still don't know Spanish. <laughs> It didn't help me. I still, I mean, but I can, you did graduate. But I did graduate. So, so you did. Your your calculus rang true. Yeah, that you made it, it worked. But man, what a regret! I I I, I have I have I have some of those. And so, so. now I've never seen them, and I I never will. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like I always feel really thankful when I see people say like, "Man, I wish I'd seen Pantera," you know. Yeah, right. Glad I saw him multiple times. Yep. So. You know who I did see? Def Leppard. <laughs> Are you going to go see them with a Motley Crue? No, I'm already I, even, even when I went to go see them, I said to the guys that I went with, the only reason I'm going is so that one day I can look back and say, well, yeah, I saw those guys. <laughs> I, I have no hate for Def Leppard. I, I, this I is the first tour with Vivian Campbell right after he joined. Oh, oh, that oh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was, was like, like it was the Let's Get Rocked tour. Is that like eighty five? Adrenalize eighty six? No, something? that was ninety two, ninety three. Wait a minute, I thought he was in the band before then. No, because he he replaced Steve Clark. Steve Clark died after Hysteria, and they didn't do anything until Adrenalize. Which came out in probably ninety two or ninety three. Wow. Maybe ninety one. Hold on. 
That was the worst song. Let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get. Okay, rock. I think I think I'm. What what is the other guitarist's name? Uh, in Def Leppard. Clark, Paul Clark. Okay, maybe I'm getting confused. On something. No, Steve Clark, Paul Collins, Peter Collins, Phil Collins, something <laughs> Collins. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Says so his first record. With uh, Def Leppard was in 93. Yeah. Okay. So this is the guy that did all the Dio records. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I just didn't realize he was with yeah. Dio that long. Yeah. He was I, thought with... he was. I thought he only did like. He's Holy also Diver. the guy that clocked uh, Glenn Danzig in one punch. Dropped him. I think that's happened to Danzig more than once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Phil Collins. That, that's, Phil who Collins. that's who I'm thinking. I told you I thought it was Phil Collins. Collins. Yeah. Phil Collins. Of course. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's who I have. Like. He's like, I'm 78, but I got a six pack. <laughs> like that, you know, or whatever he's doing these days. Um, okay, cool. So you do you weren't able to see them on the Division Bell tour, um, but you love the record, I'm sure, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. This um, when he gets to High Hopes, oh. I was like, I love this grass is greener hook. Mm. <laughs> I was like, this is great. The video is just stunning. You should check out. I've never seen it. Oh man, it's it's it is visually what that era of Pink Floyd sounds like. Nice. Mm. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I didn't have a lot. You know, Mm. I enjoyed it. It's cool. So, but I I really like this song. This is probably high hopes. Yeah, yeah. I think this Mm. was. Maybe my favorite track. Like it's it's up there mm-hmm. with my fa- with my favorites on this playlist, for sure. It's okay. it's a great song. So yeah. and it's it's the album closer. Mm. So it's just kind of like this fantastic mm-hmm. like punctuation. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, the only other tracks I knew off of this album because I just haven't really listened to the post. Uh, I guess the post water stuff all that much. Yeah, do you have any type of relationship with the post water stuff? Not not nearly as much as as the pre water or the pre dark side pre last time stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Anything <laughs> before this, really. Um but I knew I know Marooned is a great mm-hmm. track. It's it's instrumental. It's one of my favorites. Um and then uh Keep Talking, obviously. Mm, is yeah. uh, I think it got a lot <clears throat> like a lot a lot of radio play. And that's another one with that they revisited later with talking Talking Hawking. Yeah. With Stephen Hawking's uh, voiceover. Uh, so, well, they did it back in 94 as well. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself because I didn't, like, I didn't connect that with the song title. Like, I didn't connect what oh. I was hearing with the song title. So, okay. I, I just now clicked for me. Uh, really? <laughs> Damn. Yeah. You, okay. didn't, you didn't recognize his voice? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I I did break. I was like I was I was like I know this is any this could be anyone's voice, but right. that does sound like the shit that he would say at seminars. Yeah, also that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's some there's some great stuff. I mean, it's I guess the thing for me about these last couple albums is I just it the solo Gilmore stuff just doesn't work nearly as well for me mm. as the. And I, you know what? I don't get into the Gilmore solo records. I've tried. <laughs> And I know that that was kind of what you were saying. And just say solo but, Gilmore is is a, a, a gross misrepresentation of who all is making music and, here. And and sure. and to me, it's 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 a at least for me, it's a testament to the input of the others 
because <laughs> I, I don't get into the David Gilmore the, records. The editing power of Richard Wright and Nick Mason. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Their so. contributions. Yeah. The power of no. David. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody needs their no guy. Yeah. Uh, like At this point, David had two of them. <laughs> <laughs> to only one, yeah. Um, there, it's... Uh, I, I realized after listening to all this stuff on the, both these playlists, I realized how much I really enjoy the uh, the dichotomy of their two vocal styles mm. together because there's uh, as as much as I even love some of these songs on the later stuff, like the the sort of breathy Gilmore spoken vocals that is kind of like, okay, you're doing this again. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> I, like I love those songs, but it's just more of that. It's just, I, I like the change. The change up really helps me a lot, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. So. That makes sense. You know, and like, but you, you're really connecting to those lyrics. Yeah. And the lyrics whatnot. Are great, yeah. So, so that, that you don't need that variation in timbre. Right. To kind of keep you engaged. Right. As much. Right. You know, that makes sense. I'm, I'm like balled up in the fetal position in the quarter, listening <laughs> to the lyrics. So <laughs> you're like, I don't even. I don't even taint my lyrical experience with the music. <laughs> I just read them. Just read genius. Um, and and guitar not, tone. Yeah. Lyrics and guitar tone. Yeah, it's not. I turn on a sine wave, a pure ooh, and it's not until I have them completely memorized that I that I listen to the record. Um, yeah. Were they? Do, do you know if they were doing? When was Pulse? Was Pulse after? Pulse is after Division Bell. Pulse came out in the mid 2000s. No, it can't be that late. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. no. My battery just ran out on that damn light just a couple of years ago. <laughs> Had a little light. No, 95. 95. Oh, it was 95? Yeah. Because I, rem I remember seeing it. In, that must it, have been the Division Bell tour. It must have been. I guess that makes sense. Because that was, yeah, that was the their big live album. Uh, and it like there's concert I think or I think there's a video to go to go along yeah with that it, DVD right? and they have the giant that the like, orbital thing, thing above yeah. the stage it was a whole thing at the time because I guess from like the wall kind of onward they became known for like their ostentatious touring shit right uh, yeah the, the big pig why well, yeah, animals so it was before the wall then and then the wall and then the big the crazy light rig that they had for this tour mm -hmm. right so that's something that they kept up yeah <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that that and so do you know like when they would play live like they still pl they still played the Roger era oh, yeah. stuff mm -hmm. oh okay. yeah so there wasn't any kind of like dumb I, bullshit there. He, Roger still wanted his royalties yeah so well, Paul, he wouldn't get it from them playing live you'd only get it from them selling those records well, yeah I guess so but for a long time there were there were uh, sort of fights between I think the two parties as to who owned what. Because right. for, because Roger Waters would also go out and play Pink Floyd songs, yeah, on tour, on his solo stuff, but they did that stuff for years as well. Yeah, though. Yeah, you you just have to like where you can where it can get sticky legally is if you are advertising it like a misrepresentation in advertising, right? Like if 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 mm. he's not part of the Pink Flo Floyd brand, but it could be argued that he is marketing it as if. You are coming to see, see Pink Floyd or something affiliated with Pink Floyd. That's when you have a, a legal case against it, right? You know, like again, 
to bring it back to live. So Ed Kowalczyk's first solo record was called Alive. <laughs> and it was in this almost the same exact font oh. as Live's logo. Mm. So, Interesting. So that's like, that's grounds for them to sue him, you know, and them to say, you know what I mean? But and Alive it, is a different word. Well, that coupled with other things and, oh, okay. and, and how he was marketing it. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? And how he was marketing his shows and whatnot, things like that. So, yeah, I wonder what the I wonder what the agreement or, or... I, I guess like what I'm saying, what I'm trying to articulate is that there's nothing there's no like legal instrument to keep because I mean, like you were saying, like Jerry Cantrell played half a dark side of the moon. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. There's but but he wasn't selling. He wasn't like he was saying Pink Floyd is playing Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, yeah. Right. He, yeah, he yeah. didn't say like come see Pink Floyd open up for Metallica. You know what really you complicated know? this right. for Queensryche was yes. when <laughs> Jeff Tate left and started touring Operation Mindcrime. And so now, it, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, because it, 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 that was like their the wall, right? And didn't he like call it like Jeff Tate's Queensrÿche or some shit that, for a while, and then he got busted, and <laughs> now it's li- his band is literally called Mind Crime. Oh, right, and that's smart. That's what you got to do. Yeah. You know, you just you like. You know, because I think that's what Roger Waters, like Roger Waters, the wall. Exactly. Shit like that. That, that was what he built it as after a certain point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I guess that um, worked. Cool. Interesting. Roger's wall. Roger's Roger wall. Roger's waters. It's so hard for me to say, not say Walters. Right. And I guess this is. Roger that, Walters. Yeah. Roger. I mean, you know, I guess that makes sense. He could have called it pink, uh, uh, like Floyd's pink. He could have done that, but then no one would have come. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> one time, and then he's as bankrupt as Sid Barrett. <laughs> Damn. Oh, <laughs> oh, poor. Oh. Um. Okay. Do you want to talk about this last record now? Um. For me, I've always felt like this was, you know, coming full circle back to Umaguma, Endless Kinda, River. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Like without as much of the avant-garde influence, but mm-hmm. still with those sort of movements and the little sweets. The, the spirit of it. Yeah. yeah. The sort of with the maturity of that yeah. they had all gained along the way. Right. And uh, again, kind of going from, what was it, clouds into dark side of the moon and saying, okay, let's, let's simplify, but let's kind of keep this idea. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what Endless River is. Gotcha. I, yeah. When I read a little bit about the background of the record, it became after after I'd listened to it the first time. Mm-hmm. But when I read a little bit about it before listening the second time, these songs became very moving mm. to me because it's that it was made after Richard had died, right? And so, and then like you know the album cover, the title, yeah. and it's and that and that it would this was intentionally like this is going to be the last. This, is pink the this was made yeah. as a send off. Yeah. Right, and so it's like simultaneously sort of an encapsulation and a summary. And a eulogy, not just for right. Richard, but for the band, for the band for itself. The band. Yeah, and and I found that really, really and, moving, and, and for their cool. journey. Yes, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. again kind of an illusion in the title, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, in the album cover, it's like the that, like that could be that could be Richard Wright, right? Like we're sending our friend off. It could or, be Pink, or it's the band itself, yeah. you know. And I, I found that I found that really, really moving, and it cool. made these a lot more endearing. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. That that record is one of those that I love, similar to how I utilize Sugar Row 
often mm. is that if I'm if I've got a lot of work I'm doing, but I want something to just kind of keep me centered and keep me going, um, but keep me inspired at the same time, I'll throw this on, um, you know, and just put it on repeat all day long. Because it's worth noting that this entire album is instrumental except for two tracks. Yeah, right. Just talking Hawking, which is Stephen mm -hmm. Hawking's voiceover. And then Louder Than Words, which is just vocals from David Gilmore. Yeah. Uh, and most of this, I think, is from the Division Bell sessions. I think, yeah. I if think not all right. of it. Um, so it's it's a lot of stuff that Richard Wright played on. Right. Right, right, yeah. Like his voice is actually in yes. the record, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe some stuff they recorded later on, but I think the majority of it is from, from way back then. Hmm. But it was good enough to compiled together and put out as a Pink Floyd album. And yeah. Right. It still has that vibe. It's it's interesting because it has that that sort of peak peak Floyd vibe <laughs> as it were. Uh, but like with today's production because it came out in 2014. Yeah. So with like t modern production values and it sounds fucking great. Yeah. It was my so. Christmas or no, a Father's Day gift for my kids that year. Nice. Mm. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm that's one of the ones that I was like, okay, maybe I'll go back and check out the rest of this, you know. Hmm. For sure. So, cuz even just looking at the the rest of the song titles, it it's it it seemed to clear to me that it's, you know, like things left unsaid or shit like that and it's like this is about this is the history of the whole band here. Exactly, yeah. You know? Yeah. This is like this is the last I mean, Gilmore said at the time, like this is the last Pink Floyd thing that's gonna happen. Or Pink Floyd album that's gonna come out. Yeah. Right, right. Uh and yeah. You ready for the salty bits? Are y'all ready for the salty bits? Oh hell yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Bring uh, it. Okay. <laughs> so these are not necessarily the things that I would say now. They're not the things you settled on. Just yeah, the initial... these are sort of initial, okay. initial emotional responses that I had. Wait, my special <laughs> drink. <laughs> I love these things. What man. is this? A buy bubbles. Um, this is blackberry. Bogota blackberry and lime. <laughs> it's my like favorite drink in the world. The flavor of if someone yelled blackberry in the room next to you. <laughs> What is the frog and frog? I don't know. It's some comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About flavored water. Yeah. Um, okay, this is the hot take section. Richard, 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 hot takes. Hot 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 takes. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Um, That's this is the largest right amount there. of obtuse, unenjoyable music I've absorbed <laughs> in the least amount of time. <laughs> Concentrated. Yeah. Like this is this is three hours of of unapproachable, terrible stuff that I just <laughs> force fed. <clears throat> not 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 how I feel now, but after that first listen, I was like, oh my god. Um, it, it, it isn't not that. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah as yeah. someone who loves some of the shit, like it isn't not that. <laughs> um. A lot of this is somehow the worst of all worlds. <laughs> <laughs> it's too damn dramatic and distracting for me to get the thing I get from jammy or ambient music. It's not organic enough for me to get what I get out of jazz. And it's not groovy or intricate enough for me to get what I get out of like funk music and stuff. I can't say that, whatever. And it's so meandering and spacey <laughs> that it barely tracks as a song. <laughs> 
Because even, you know, you could take a songwriter whose lyrics or whatever, you know, might not be my <clears throat> cup of tea, like a Taylor Swift or something like that, you know? Sure. Just not my, not my vibe. But it's like, at least it's a goddamn song. At least it's about something. At least, <laughs> at least there's a beginning and a middle and an end. At least there's lyrics. At least I know what they're talking about. It goes down easy. Nice. You know? So, again, not necessarily what I would say. Right. But... But in my like emotional anger, um, and so why aren't they doing something I recognize? Kinda. I mean, you oh, know, but, sure, yeah. yeah. But again, I can, I can understand that though. Like I said at the beginning, a lot of this state I was in was because of that. Just all those like how many hard turns can right. a person be asked to take in an hour and a half? Right. You know. Um, but it is interesting to consider like why Pink Floyd is not like why none of this tracks is being jam band or jam mm. jammy. You know what I mean? They were a big influence on Fish, actually. And I I'm really like. Okay, I thought <laughs> I didn't. I thought you were serious um, because I could see that. But I really like Fish, and I can like because there's like a sort of a there's a steady state kind of thing going on with that style of music, you mm. know, like there's like, and there, there's like a consistent groove, there's a consistent pocket and the <clears throat> intricacy is there when you like, when you look deeper, mm -hmm. but on the surface, you can just kind of tune out da, da 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 da. All this is so goddamn dramatic, you know, that you have to pay attention to it. Yeah. So it doesn't function how, like a lot of the video game music that you showed me mm -hmm. does as well, where that kind of can facilitate other things. Sure. You can't really do anything else. No, you're right. While like, listening to this. Yeah, yeah, this isn't, for me, this isn't something that I've, no, no Pink Floyd is like something that I put on and do other stuff. Mm. It's like something, like I'm ready to listen to some Pink Floyd right now. And then that's what I do. Right, right. And I'm sure that was part of my my initial problem <laughs> on the first listen too, is I was listening to, I was doing other <clears throat> shit and it was like, oh my God. Um, just a quick, quick, uh, whatever. Quick fish tangent. I've never been into. Are you into fish? No. <laughs> what? Oh fuck no. Uh, uh. I, I I did I didn't like really flip that leaf over. I didn't mean to say that out loud. That way. <laughs> I, I used to always shit on them just because the people that I knew that liked them were uh, shitting on Pantera, and I was like, well, clearly uh, you're an idiot. Um, I mean, valid. <laughs> But um, but uh, no, I've been really. I've been I've been poking around in their stuff the past week or so, and I'm like, oh god, I actually really like this. Okay, <laughs> I'd be interested to try it out because that that was one of those bands like, again, like of all the of all the bands that I heard of through like Guitar World and shit. Like oh, Trey yeah, Anastasio sure. was always on those lists of like I guess so, such yeah. an interesting, cool, you know, intricate it, uh, one of those solos on the top list of solos or whatever the fuck you know. But it, one of those guys I always heard about Fish was always one of those bands you hear about. And so I tried listening to them and I was like, I don't need this. I, um, there's a really good documentary about him on Amazon prime huh, right okay. now. Um, and it, so yeah, check that out if you're, if, if, you know, because it's, it's, it's really cool because it's, it just kind of, sh it's like a little window into sort of a brief time period of his life. And it's just, so, you know, and so you're just, there's like not like some like here's the narrative and the story of the redemption of Trey and blah 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 and it's it's interesting because it, they film him like he's just like a regular dude and like the the scenes of him playing like Madison Square Garden in front of however many whatever thousand people <laughs> right. are treated the same way like someone like clocking <clears throat> in at work 
Yeah. <laughs> like that just happens to be his job. He kind of just almost, looks like a regular dude when he's playing. You know? Like just yeah. So but um, Okay. Anyway, fish right. tangent over. All right. This is three hours of intros. Um <laughs> all hat, no cattle, all intro, no song. <laughs> what? Like this phrase, have you heard the phrase, all no. hat, no cattle? Never heard this phrase. Oh. I, I'm familiar. My grandmother used to use the phrase drugstore cowboy, but same same idea. Yeah. Like Okay. Like, I guess I've never known like what Like somebody that, means. that likes to dress like a cowboy, but they're not really a cowboy. Okay. Where does the drugstore come into it? Like somebody that buys their outfit at a drugstore. At store. a drugstore. Okay. Okay. Proceed. Um, <laughs> when it got to High Hope... Um, I was like, oh, this is the first actual song I've heard in an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the first hook on the whole goddamn playlist. <laughs> That's probably, that might be fair. The actually. grass is green. Yeah. yeah. I, I was like, oh, hook. We found it. <laughs> he put one in here. One. Thank you. <laughs> um, And then when I got to sort of this other stuff, I was like, oh, like it got to the last, the last record. I was like, oh, Endless River. I, mm-hmm. I was like, oh. No wonder you like Dream Theater. <laughs> Dream Theater is Gilmore Floyd with actual musical ideas. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Conversely, Gilmore Floyd is Dream Theater with a heart. <laughs> I don't know which of those is true. They might both be true. They might both be true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of funny, too, because I, this, this, this says like how burned out I was. <laughs> by the time it got to the end of this i was like side two part whatever skins cool drum thing i guess <laughs> God, it's called nice. skins i was like so done i was like whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. you know but then also i mean also it's great it's really cool to hear the drums used in that texture also uh so many guitar solos vomit emoji um, <laughs> i mean I think that's, that's, that's like asking the edge to not do the chingy chingy chingy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I, th- I think that's those are those are my hot takes. Oh, that's good. Okay, that's good. I was waiting for you to be like shark sandwich. It's just like a like a shit sandwich. What? Oh, shark sandwich. Shark. Said. Oh, you did say shark. Yeah. It's what? a Spinal Tap reference where they're oh, doing all no. the album reviews. And they get to like the two word review for shark sandwich was just shit sandwich. Mm. He was like, that's not real, is it? You can't print that. No, sorry. I haven't seen Spinal Tap in a long time. Same. Same. I haven't seen it in a minute. I feel like that joke just fell flat. Somebody was laughing out there. Somebody. Somebody. If it makes the cut. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Richard is going to. Yeah, that's what I do. I I go back and I cut out. I, I don't just cut out where things weren't funny, I cut out. Any time that anyone except me is funny. Right, exactly. Wow, this is going to be a short podcast episode. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, oh, zing. Makes hey. my job easier when they're shorter. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> oh, all those old jokes. But yeah, um, all in all, I uh, once I understood the terrain, and I, and I was like, okay, that's what this is. This is how I need to approach it. Yeah. <laughs> then it was really enjoyable, and and um, that's really cool to hear. I mean, it really is. Not that I, not that I would diminish your ability to enjoy 
different music because I know sure. that you have that. Um, but I also know how much you like to shit on things. Um, and that's one of the things I appreciate about you. But I just, I just shit on things that you like. I know. I <laughs> just, know. Just because I, and, I and like you how knew you how much I love Pink Floyd. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I feel like going through their catalog is a journey. Oh yeah, it, it's 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 ins- I I challenge anyone to sort of you know look at their story and not have just you know the utmost respect. Yeah, for you cannot appreciate their music, or it can just like not be your thing, or right. or, or it's yeah. like oh well, this doesn't hit me the way that it hits other people. But I don't I don't know how you cannot sort of almost just be in awe of of their output and their ambition and what yeah. they accomplished sonically yeah. totally yeah yeah because i can i can totally understand someone not liking any of their music yeah because it asks a certain amount from you to like you said like sort of once you understand like or you have some sort of a coherent viewpoint of like where they're coming from what they're trying to do right then it makes some more sense but if you just come to this as you just like stumble across some of their shit or whatever. And it's just this long meandering uh, because it is, it's long and meandering. I love that about it, but that's Mm -hmm. what it is. And you can totally be like, this, what even are you doing here? Where's the song? That's why I get it. Yeah. Right. And I, I imagine that if I was to go and sit with some of these records and the record itself, you know, Mm. it's like, Oh, well that's clearly one of the, that's, that's clearly now in my top 20 favorite records of all time. I feel like five of these have the potential to be that. You know? Yeah. So, um, Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Anything else? That's all I got, sir. All right. I don't know how to end a podcast when it's not after midnight. Yeah, true. It feels weird. I mean, I mean, here, you guys can just sit here hours. and talk until then. <laughs> that's cool. Just keep recording. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just leave silence. <laughs> Come back at twelve oh one. Yeah, and that's a wrap. Oh gosh, okay. It's an artistic choice. Yeah, it's long and meandering. <laughs> so, all right, appreciate you, audience. <laughs> Thanks.